I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco. And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson. We're back together in the studio, man. Yeah. Long time between me being away, vacation, you being in Boston. It's been yeah. a lot of remote. It's been a lot. But here we are. We're back. Back in Cincinnati. Training camp is upon us. The buzz is real, man. I'm already seeing it. We got people going to the Hall of Fame after the first couple training camp oh, practices. Okay. Yeah, it's happening. And uh, injuries started, which is the downside to uh, to training camp. Yeah, as we speak, we've got Bucks center Ryan Jensen going to the locker room, and of course Joe Burrow with a with having his appendix out. Joe Burrow losing the appendix. Yeah, he's going to miss some reps. Who needs him? Who, Who needs does? Him? I mean, it's going to make it less exciting over at Bengals camp over there. You know, as far as uh, seeing the reps. But um, look, training camp has started. We're going to have a fun episode today. We're answering one question per team. We asked you guys to all be a part of that, to email us, to tweet at us. We almost have every team covered. We'll have every team covered by the time we get there, though. Yeah. Do we still need something for the Texans and the Raiders, potentially? Yes. So if the, uh, the YouTube those chat, in the chat. Yeah. If the YouTube chat wants to help with that with those last couple. Um, the other thing we got to do, this, this really highlights the problem with not um, requesting, you know, phonetic spelling of a name. If you're going to email us in and your name is not like Dan Jones – <laughs> Bob Smith, you know, give us some help. Yeah, yeah. And look, some of them I think are, are reasonable, self-explanatory. Some of them are going to be a ride. You know, we're, we're probably going to get them wrong. Are you going to handle those this today, or I, should I, I give them a swing? But should we'll, I do we'll all see. of them? So we're going to go team by team. Before we get into it, though, a couple things we have to remind people: uh, we put a survey out there. Yeah, uh, because we do love hearing from our listeners and our viewers. The survey's over at. Uh, our Twitter account at pod. that is the pinned tweet there and we've used this survey in the past to change our show right to to dictate uh, do we want to have three hour shows one hour shows do we want to have more guests fewer guests so there's a lot of good questions on there and love to get everybody's feedback yeah just a couple of minutes of your time quick Google survey and it'll help us with the direction of where we want to take the show and how to make it better so we'd appreciate anybody that could uh, go and, and fill that out. Like Sam said, just a couple minutes. And you want to talk about Charity Drive 7.0? Yeah, finally started this one. This is, can I pitch a baseball 60 miles an hour? We're not going to spend no. you know 10 minutes talking about it on this show, but the GoFundMe is up. We are donating this time to uh, a group called Needs, N-E-A-D-S, which is, do you have any idea how expensive like service dogs are? for you know people that need service dogs i don't it's a lot of money really a lot of money i have it written down in the thing here somewhere uh let me see uh national service animal registry estimates that a service dog costs a minimum of seventeen thousand dollars really uh, the total cost of training the dog is typically upwards of forty thousand dollars so 
you know, there's a lot of people that need service dogs. They don't have that kind of money lying around. No, that's crazy. In fact, most people don't have that kind of money lying around in any capacity. So needs uh, picks up the slack, essentially, pays for all that kind of stuff and, and helps get service dogs to people that need them in a way that doesn't bankrupt them. So that's who we're donating to. Um, and the whole thing is centered around whether I can pitch a baseball 60 miles an hour. What's our goal here, Sam? Uh, the goal on the GoFundMe is 2500 all right, so twenty five hundred bucks. Again, we've uh, we've gotten great response from all of our listeners and viewers here. We appreciate everybody who's been a part of our previous tra- charity drives, um, and this will be a fun one. Do we get to see sixty miles an hour? And look, you can from Sam. You can put comments in when you donate in the GoFundMe. So fire a comment, fire you know what you think your the miles per hour is going to be. You know, yes. give me the, the the number you think we're going to hit. All those kinds of things. Let's uh, let's get a bit of interaction going because God knows people had opinions about this i've got strong opinions as well Mm. i believe you're going to be under 60 miles an hour we'll have to have our own you know side bet as to how much we'll put into this thing based off the over under of 60 so that's sam's pinned tweet at pff underscore sam yep all right you ready to get into it Mm -hmm. we asked you the viewers the listeners for a question for your particular team uh, so we're going to go through it. Let's start with, as always, the AFC East. That's how we do it. It's how you put it into this document here, Sam. The it Buffalo is. Bills. The question from Michael Green. Nailed it. <laughs> Bills were one of the most pass-happy teams in the NFL on early downs. Should they use that to run more in 2022? You know what the funny thing is? You didn't nail it. You screwed it up. Oh. Read that again. Oh, no. Yeah. Right? Michael Keen. Yeah, there's no, there's no R in there. That's not a typo? No, no, that's his name. Didn't nail it. No. Gein. You Gein? went for the layup and you missed. Gien? I. It's G-E-E-N. Yeah. Well done. O for 1. I've missed dunks before. <laughs> it happens. I, <laughs> Which you know. would, seems tricky at your size. Yeah. yeah. Well, sometimes you can't get up. Off Sorry, the what was the question? Uh, Should the Bills run more in early downs as uh, a yeah, yeah. pass so, team last year? Yeah, the Bills have been one of the most uh, aggressive passing teams in sort of neutral situations, uh, all those kinds of things. I do think that there's a, a chance that they pivot a little bit and go more, a little bit more run heavy, not – just to take advantage of the kind of looks that they're being given now. Not that it's, you know, necessarily more efficient, but it's always that balance, right, of where does where does the reaction to the defense, to what you're doing, start to open up the thing that you're not doing, you know? And at what point are you better off taking that, even if generally it would be less efficient? Like the whole thing is a cat-and-mouse game where at some point you have to bounce back and give them something else. So I think Buffalo established last year that they're going to be a very pass happy team i would imagine that continues but there are going to be situations now where they probably should zig where they would have zagged last year and this is one of the reasons why i'm kind of you know optimistic about what we can see from james cook he's been brought in as this addition to the passing game this run after the catch kind of guy but i also think he might end up being their best running back and get some opportunities on these kind of pass passing type downs astute answer sam uh but i'll, I'll say no they should not run okay. the ball more on early downs fair enough um I, I, the the answer that you gave part of it was you know what, whatever the defense gives you I, that's always my answer i mean that is football that is a big part of uh football analytics even right box count and run when they want you to pass and pass when they want you to run that's why early down passing has been um the thing that the analytics movement has pushed i'll just cite this really quickly here studies have shown studies have shown that uh 
the linebackers owed some of Eric Eager's work and everything. Linebackers are biting less often on play action than they were, say, two years ago. Less movement. So the NFL is inviting the run a little bit more often. If that trend continues, maybe you run a little bit more on early downs. But I still think as a whole, that strategy is fine for the Bills. Um, overall, I'd like to see them take a little bit of pressure off of Josh Allen. You know, so using using Cook, as you mentioned, and using some of their other backs a little bit more. So it's not just the Josh Allen show every time you need a big play. I don't think that's a bad idea. But overall, I think you stick with the basic strategy of let's pass on early downs for sure. We we can't get too sidetracked uh, during this show because we got to stay on point. Right? Teams. But um, you know that Mike Sando article that comes out every year, the quarterback tiers thing. Yes, it's like your dream article, tiers, tier quarterbacks, and tiers. I don't even have to rank them. Yeah. Um, somebody, uh, <laughs> the funny thing about that article is you go down a rabbit hole with all the anonymous quotes and wanting to like shout at all the people that gave them. Right. So good it was, work, Sando. It was the Lamar Jackson thing. Then there was a guy basically saying that Patrick Mahomes isn't special if you make him go off his first read. Um, and, you know, I was kind of looking up some of these things to see how true or otherwise they are. Mahomes is like fourth or fifth in the NFL or something the last couple of years beyond his first read. You know who's number one by a reasonable margin? Since we're talking about the Bills, I'm going to guess it's Josh Allen. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, Josh Allen, number one, passed his first read by pretty big distance actually there was stuff like oh joe burrow predetermines his quick game too much which is like what you it's do like the whole purpose of right. quick game. that's what yeah. you do with quick game I, I don't know it's uh it's like it isn't quick if you have to read post snap like, so now we know what sando's doing at the combine when he's everywhere right yeah. everywhere you turn mike sando's there he's getting idiot quotes from Seriously. from idiot anonymous people I, I say that in a loving way I, you're not idiots i love you guys anonymous some of them are scouts. idiots not uh, some of them are how many an, how many of those anonymous quoters are actually listening to us i wonder i always think like again this is rabbit hole stuff but i always think it's funny like when you're the guy that gives like the real idiot quote right and then the, then it goes viral and it's everywhere like when you see that on tv do you, are you like indignant you're like i was right i stand by it but i can't tell anyone because i look like an idiot that was me or you're like yeah that was pretty dumb like <laughs> They stand by it. I think they stand by it. Let's go Miami Dolphins. Where does Miami's O-line need to rank for Tua and the offense as a whole to be an above-average unit? James Villani sends in that question. Where do you think the O-line needs to rank for them to be above-average? If it ranks 20th, I think That's they can. it, huh? Yeah. I mean, so above-average. I'm talking like, you know, sneak above-average. If the, if the offensive line ranks 20th, I think the platform is there for everybody else to do their job. Now, it doesn't mean it will. Like, if the offensive line ranks 20th and it turns out Tua stinks, it's not going to rank above average because Tua stinks. But if the offensive line ranks 20th, it's not it, – the platform is there for everybody else to be what they need to be, right? Now, then it just becomes whether they can do that or not. So last year, using EPA per play, again, that would be the number that we would use to rank offenses as far as efficiency goes. Overall EPA per play during the regular season, the Dolphins ranked 23rd. So if they're 23rd in EPA per play, we're talking about them being above average as a unit. So we're talking being above 15th, 16th, 15th, essentially. Yeah. 15th or better. Yeah, I mean, jumping the offensive lineup that high when they did this last year with the worst pass blocking grade in the NFL, if that jumps up just eight or ten spots, I, yeah, I think that's fair. So twentieth, if they get up to fifteenth, though, fifteenth, twelfth, if they get up into creep back toward average range or mm -hmm. average range, now we're talking maybe a really good offense here. But again, it's all it's all down to what Tua does, really. I mean, that just the offensive line is the foundation piece. Like 
the offensive line the last couple of years has simply not been viable. It's like building your house on sand. It's just going to collapse as soon as the rain starts. Um, but once the offensive line is somewhere in that below average to average to above average range, now you actually have some kind of you know concrete slab to build the rest on. But then it's like, what does Tua do? I love the offseason. The more I think about it, the more I can see Tua just running the offense like Jimmy Garoppolo and putting up some big numbers and Mike McDaniel getting the most out of him. I think it's going to happen. Well, he is the most accurate quarterback in the NFL, according to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek said that? Repeatedly. Yeah, that's his thing, apparently, is. I mean, obviously. Focus on his accuracy. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I, clearly, I can't directly compare Tua to Patrick Mahomes. So if I just call him the most accurate quarterback in the NFL every time I open my mouth. New England Patriots, we have a scorching take from Joseph DeLeo. Hmm. Has Bill Belichick shown the ability to adjust to the modern game as head coach and GM, and can they get back to the top with him in a post-Brady world? So the scorching take is a question, but it's essentially questioning whether or not Bill Belichick has been able to adjust to the modern game. Um, And honestly... It's not an unreasonable question to be asking at this point. Like, obviously, he's not bad, right? Whatever way you slice it. I mean, he's got Mac Jones. They're back to being a pretty good team. Like, Bill Belichick knows how to coach in the NFL, regardless of era, period, right? There's, I don't think there's any debate there. But the debate is now, and has been since they departed, like, which one? Brady or Belichick? Which is the genius? Which is the who's responsible for all the success and obviously the answer is it's it's both and all of them put together but brady's got back to the mountaintop without belichick and belichick get back to it without brady that i think is an open question that is still reasonable to ask and particularly while belichick does build that team in a slightly different way than other people so far right he has an unusual approach to drafting certain positions he apparently stinks at drafting wide receivers period um and they're kind of building a lot of parts of this team to be focused on the run or sort of areas that aren't necessarily where you would pump the resources in the, today's NFL. So I think he can I think he can adjust to the modern game. I think he does do it in a slightly different way. Um, and I think, I mean, it's the simple and easy and obvious answer, but what determines whether they're going to get back to the top is how good can Mac Jones get? That's, that's the question, man. There's already a lot of buzz. You're already getting the... Matt Jones is so far ahead of you know this year as he was last year that the offense is new and simpler and Belichick is taking to the offense a lot more it's a it's a tricky question Sam you know that right I mean the we have talked about if you're starting a franchise you're going to start with the elite quarterbacks before the head coach because I think there's enough evidence that say you have Mahomes you have Aaron Rodgers you have Tom Brady you have Drew Brees whoever it is Those guys are the biggest driver of success. Now, you can go, even if Bill Belichick or any head coach wins on the margins in free agency and in the draft and in player development and all the other places where you can win on the margins, it's really the margins. Because if you have Patrick Mahomes versus Sam Darnold at quarterback, that's going to make the difference in your team, not the margins that you're winning. Um, So I think Belichick still has a history of doing that well overall knowing how to draft overall knowing how to develop defensive backs overall knowing how to get the best out of his players and all that stuff but I don't think we're going to have a clear answer to this question which is like you said unless Mac Jones is a legitimate top 10 quarterback 
unless he goes from and you see a lot of the write-ups and in Sando's thing and even some of our takes it's like is he better can he be better than a Derek Carr can he be better than a Kirk Cousins can he be a carry the team type of guy because the carry the team type of guy you think skill set you think Josh Allen you think Justin Herbert but like you don't think that with Brady skill set wise but he carries the team so if Mac Jones can take that step forward then that's that's the answer right Belichick has found the next guy he's developed the next guy and he can be a Super Bowl contender once again without Tom Brady but I don't you don't I, I still think Belichick's a very good head coach does a lot of good things could he do better on say fourth down decisions and some other things sure but I wouldn't necessarily say he has not adjusted to the modern game and I don't think you get a clear answer to this because it's so dependent on the quarterback here's another point can you get back to the top with Matt Patricia calling plays on is he really calling plays? We don't even have titles. No, he is. He is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought Bel- I, I was. Plays. I was envisioning a world where uh, Belichick was just going to call plays for both sides of the ball. <laughs> you know, so, uh, one of the big parts of it is apparently like if they don't if they don't designate Patricia a coordinator, Detroit is still paying him. Like it's like a money saving exercise. Oh, that's what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. So oh. because you, like, if you get. If, once you get a, given a, a and you say Belichick hasn't adjusted to the modern right. game this is check this is chess man once the guy gets a job as a coordinator like that team's picking up the bill but as long as he's I think it's whatever the rule is like as long as he's a lower position than the one he left or got fired from or whatever or just the lower than coordinator level the previous team is like still picking up the tab for for a salary this basically comes down to like what should you expect from a coach when they when they have exit quarterback you know what should you expect from Andy Reid when he has Patrick Mahomes at quarterback what should you expect from uh Matt Rule when he has Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield in that roster that's that's the key thing and I don't know that you can have massive expectations for the Patriots other than maybe what they did last year you win two 10 games you get into the playoffs if they do make that un you know that unexpected playoff run like they did with Brady early in his career though then you say okay Belichick still has it New York Jets Every time lately the Jets have been 500 or better, it's been the D carrying the load. Defense. Will that happen this year? And if so, how good would that defense need to be? Mm. Uh, it's interesting, actually, when you look at the head coaches the Jets have had. Like, they've had a lot of defensive head coaches. Okay, Adam Gase, you know, well, whatever. But Was he either? Offense <laughs> or defense? Rex Ryan, Todd Bowles, Robert Sala now. In a league that's pivoting ever more offense, the Jets have been – plowing that defensive furrow for a while um i no i i mean i think if the like if the jets are 500 or better this year it's because zach wilson took a giant leap forward and that offense is pretty good i don't given how far away the defense was a year ago i can't really see a world where they drag the offense to 500 or better or even that they're the better unit on the on this team necessarily all right i've got a i have a take on this okay i think as a domes matter type of guy right environment matters i think historically we look at teams in part because of their environment right so you think back to the bears and it's like well the bears always have great defenses and even if you look at the afc east the patriots historically generally have good defenses or this question that the jets have had a good defense when they've been good i think where you play helps your defense or hurts your defense right so these outdoor teams bad weather teams it's, it's not that the whole season's played in bad weather but you always have swirling winds in new york which is why historically 
you, it's it's tough to play offense there, right? It, that stuff does matter, right? We, we've all played like even just like a pickup football game in the rain versus in really good weather. It does change, and the stats show that in the NFL that things change. So sometimes I think we get caught up in like, well, the Jets are only good because their defense is good. When I think sometimes you might look at it the other way and say the environment allowed their defense to be a little bit better and hurt their offense a little bit more. So I don't necessarily think that this – so what I'm the point is I think you would get into trouble if you saw this pattern and you're like, oh, the Chicago Bears, the only way you can win Chicago is with a defensive-minded head coach and do defensive stuff when it's more like – Chicago allows you to have a better defense. This will be tested once they have their cool little dome in a few years. And all of a sudden, maybe they could become an offensive team. So I would not look at historical trends and say, well, the Patriots win with defense and the Bills win with defense and the Jets win with defense or whatever these cold weather cities are. The Steelers win. Steelers always have a good defense. Yeah, it's tough to play offense in Pittsburgh in November in defense, uh, December. So I think the environment affects that a little bit and i don't think that the jets need to focus on their defense that said i mean they need like to be 500 or better i think their defense needs to be probably top 15 they need to be much better than they were last year they were atrocious in certain spots last year remember 200 yards uh was it 300 yards of uh 300 passing yards 200 rushing yards against the colts i mean just yeah they, train were, wreck. they were the team that allowed the uh, urban meyer's goals right. weekly goals yeah yeah the ones that seemed absurd because they yeah. are two fifty, two fifty. It happened against the Jets, I think. Yeah. Um, does that answer the question? Yeah. I Top so. fifteen defense Close to enough. get to five hundred. We read out that guy's name, did we? Uh, Sam Kodama. Yeah. Thank you for your question on the New York Jets. Let's go to the Baltimore Ravens. Is it realistic to think if Rashad Bateman takes a jump, the Ravens' wide receiver core is no worse than last year, even minus Marquise Brown? That's uh, from JP Vayer. Yeah, Thank you that. for the pronunciation there. Yeah. Not spelled Vare. anything like that, but Vare. pronounced that way, apparently. I would have said Valu. <laughs> well, that's a good thing we uh, wrote it out then. Yes. Uh, I, realistic? Maybe. I think it's definitely possible. Um, I don't think Bateman was great as a rookie, but obviously injury uh, slowed him down and kind of led to a late start and all those kinds of things. But I think he showed enough to say he can be – he can be a better number one for this offense than Marquise Brown was, you know, who didn't necessarily tick all the boxes, provided a, a good deep threat, provided a good big play aspect to the offense, off the back play action, all those kinds of things. But Bateman has a much more complete skill set. And if you therefore say, all right, he gets better year two, takes a jump, he provides a much more sensible number one option. And then what does number two and three look like relative to Bateman and everybody else last year? Um, and in particular, knowing that uh, Mark Andrews is essentially the number one receiver in that offense, I think it's definitely possible. And it's certainly close enough that when you factor in the contract for Marquise Brown and the first round pick you got for him, I'd say it's a win. Yeah, so that's the, the angle there, right? If the question is, will the wide receiver core be better, even with a huge step forward from Bateman, I don't know that they're going to be better. I think there was a point yeah, last year. Yeah, but the question is... Will it be no? Will it be worse? Because everybody's assuming like this is one of the worst wide receiver rooms in the the NFL. They got rid of the only good player. I do think it's a fair question that actually that might be closer than people think it is when you factor in the the jump, the the potential jump from Bateman. Yeah, if Bateman takes a jump, it might not be worse. And, and again, I think there's there was a point last season when Lamar was playing well. 
before his drop-off, before his injury, where it looked like the best wide receiver core that they'd had with Lamar Jackson. And they were playing as such with Marquise Brown. Bateman was coming back. They had Sammy. Um, They looked much better. They actually had multiple weapons. And then Mark Andrews did take this massive step forward into that, I would say, top tier, right? This QB-proof tight end that Mark Andrews became last year. So that's the tricky part. I think their peak last year was the best that we've seen from Lamar Jackson. They weren't as consistent and they had injuries and they had issues. So if Bateman takes a big step forward, sure, they'll be as good as last year because Andrews Andrews took that huge step forward as well. Okay. Done. All right. That was an easy one. Thank you, JP. Cincinnati Bengals, can Cincinnati feasibly pay Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase big money extensions or will one have to depart? That's from Jason Teitelbaum. Um, I think they could do it. I don't think they will. Yeah, I think the the proxy for this is probably the Chargers paying Keenan Allen right. and Mike Williams, both over $20 million, but both right around 20 right? They're not – you don't have a $30 million receiver. They also don't have – they're able to do that because Justin Herbert is still on the rookie And deal. Herbert's still on the rookie deal. These are all – There'll be, be a point up. where there's a crossover there and they'll have to make a decision. Yeah. To me, it's Higgins is obviously the guy that would be the odd man out. Right. And you're looking at, okay, is he worth, say, $20 million? He's probably – Mike Williams is probably a good proxy for him, especially if Higgins develops a little bit. You know, they're similar type of receivers, big-bodied, uh, number 1A, 1B, two, you know, number two types. Higgins is probably the odd man out because we're talking Chase probably getting $30 million and Burrow's going to – whoever signs first, Burrow or Herbert's going to, you know, right, set the record, essentially, yeah. for, for highest-paid QB. So I'll say no um, – which means, you, you know, once again, I always use the phrase, like, I never want to see Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill. As the Bengals, I think you never want to see Joe Burrow without an excellent receiving core. Because the year that he had, fresh Jamar Chase, second year T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd pushed to the number three, that's when you get highest graded Joe Burrow, that's when you get Super Bowl run. I think that's always the pattern that you want to, to have, right, offensively. So I think you lose Higgins, and you have to uh, throw a lot of resources draft-wise for cheap wide receivers that could potentially replace him in the coming years. Yeah, I suspect that's why. I mean, I'm not sure whether they had this in mind all along in terms of not wanting to pay Jesse Bates um, because of how volatile safety play is and all those kinds of things. But now, after the season those guys just had, I suspect it's being complicated even more with the idea of like, do you really want to have resources tied up in Jesse Bates in a couple of years' time when you have to pay all these offensive superstars that are playing at a much more important positions uh, relative to you know wins and losses and that kind of thing? So I think they're already planning on the kind of contracts you're going to have to give out. And as much as I think you could tie down all three to a big money deal, I just don't. It just doesn't feel like a Bengals type of move to spend that amount of money on three players. I would imagine. They're figuring out how much money needs to go to Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase to the exclusion of everything else on the roster. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's the smart move. It is interesting, man. They've they've played the positional value game. You know, if they're gonna it, it's tempting to pay Jesse Bates. He's a good player, uh he made huge plays in the playoffs. But I think you're right. Having that three and four year outlook of having Jesse Bates on the roster versus what you have to pay for Chase and Burrow is smart. And even just taking Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell, I honestly don't believe that move happens 
five five years ago, ten years ago in in that NFL. You you feel you get your left tackle, you get the you know right tackle for Sewell. I think the Bengals are playing the positional value game um, by holding off on Bates and being ready for Burrow and Jamar Chase. T. Higgins will be the odd man out. Would be my answer. Yeah. Cleveland Browns. How much should Cleveland give up for Jimmy G? If Deshaun Watson gets suspended for the whole year. Yeah, this is this is tricky. Um, They're all tricky. They're good questions. I yeah. I, I keep getting asked about this every time I do a radio hit. The Browns and what they do with quarterback and the suspension and Jimmy G and all this kind of stuff and. They're in this tough spot because the the talk on the suspension is anything from a full year, which I think would make them – if it's a full year, they have to decide, do we just sacrifice this season, right? Stick where we are, give the, the year to Jacoby Brissett, and essentially say we're not contending this year. Or do you make a move for effectively Jimmy G as the only possible viable quarterback out there available – um, to start the whole season on a one-year bridge type deal, get rid of him next year, and hand back over to Watson. Um, if it's less than that, and Florio at one point was saying six to eight games or something as, a, as a, a period, if it's six to eight games, now you have a different calculation because now you're looking at Jacoby Brissett and saying, okay, he, I mean, he's the kind of guy that can win you a couple of games here or there. In that six to eight game it, window. Yeah, so yeah. if it's six to eight, and in particular, if you look at Cleveland's schedule – it's a lot easier in the first half of the year than it is the second half of the year. So if it's the first six to eight games, like they might be looking at that and saying, we can get out of that with Brissett at quarterback at 500. And if we're 500 with half the season left to go and Watson coming in, we're still in contention, right? That I think is a tough decision for them to make. So if the, if the suspension is a year and, but then, so if the suspension is a year, I think you probably do want to make a move and Jimmy G is the guy. But now you're back to this. You know, we think that the 49ers are probably going to cut him. But if they cut him, he could go somewhere else. So do you flip them something just to guarantee it? Or do you run the risk that you can pick him up ahead of, you know, Seattle or whatever? According to Over the Cap, the Browns have $48 million in cap space. Yeah. So so they have the money to do it. They could they could pay to have Garoppolo. I agree with you. If it's if it's six to eight, no. If it's a full season, sure. Like take a shot with Garoppolo, and I'm interested in that. You more I want some Jimmy G data points, man. But if you're trading for world. him, you are a market of one. Yeah, I mean you're you're probably flipping a fourth rounder for him, which is you know a fourth. Yeah, that's it. Wow, it's not even that high. Not even that high. You're giving him like a conditional sixth just to be front of the queue. Yeah. Like the conditional six conditioned then, on him actually lasting the season. What does Garoppolo sign for? Does he sign for anything next offseason? Is there any compensatory pick consideration here? Because I mean, if you get him. He plays, right? Yeah. I mean, if he does have a really good season and, you know, the Giants are looking at him or whatever it might be next year, who knows? Um, so that's, that's the other thing to consider. You could flip a late rounder, pay him for the year, maybe get a third back if – if someone else pays them next year so so a late of day three pick is day three trading yeah and i'd do it if it's full year suspension for watson yeah that was part of the yeah that was the question anyway all right pittsburgh steelers why is pittsburgh's cornerback room so bad can they develop and not be a disaster this year good question <laughs> i don't think they're that bad i think they're they're very not good though well it's akella witherspoon and levi wallace are two guys who are solid they're guys who I think have a they have enough of a track record that GM Steve would want them on my team, but not as the not as the top two corners. Yeah, which you know they are. 
I, yeah, I get it. So I think they're, I think they're good moves. Um, re, they re-signed both guys. They re-signed Witherspoon and they signed Levi Wallace. I think those in isolation are good moves. But if they had like Joe Hayden from five or six years ago, it makes it a better move. But they don't have that right now. They don't have another guy that's ahead of them. Um, so here's the other thing I'll say, and we we do mention this a little bit. I, I talk about this a little bit, right? Some uh, defenses emphasize corners more than others, right? If you play more man, you you rely on your corners more. The Steelers historically have relied on their middle of field players a little bit more than their corners, so they can get away maybe with subpar corners. On the other hand, when they had a really good defense a couple years ago, it was when they had Steven Nelson and Joe Hayden and Cameron Sutton, all three guys uh, playing pretty well. I'm sorry, Mike Hilton, Cam Sutton was filling in. Like They were three and four deep at corner, and that is certainly much better for your defense than maybe what they have right now. Yeah, I, <clears throat> as much as I love Levi Wallace, I have a concern that in Pittsburgh he will have a much more difficult job than he had in Buffalo um, and consequently might might perform significantly worse uh so that could be an area of concern the other thing is like you can have a cornerback room that isn't great when you lead the league in pressure rate which the Steelers did a couple of years ago right when you don't and when you're actually miles away from it and it's basically just TJ Watt getting a ton of pressure and sacks and really sacks more than pressures it makes that cornerback group look a lot worse um they get exposed more so if the Steelers front seven is able to bounce back and you know get a lot more pressure than they did last year the cornerback room looks a lot better now maybe you can argue hey they should probably be aware of that right and sort of understand that things have changed and that they're not going to lead the league in pressure again Um, and if they don't you might want to invest some more in that cornerback group yeah so that's it you know I think it's it's where they like to put their resources defensively it's the fact that they do rely on pressure. They do rely on uh, five-man rushes a little bit more than most teams. Uh, maybe don't play as much man. They've they've fluctuated in recent years. Like last year, they were 19th and just straight up cover one percentage. You know, that's your most common man coverage. So you don't rely on your corners as much. So I think maybe Steelers can get away with that a little bit more. So AFC North. We're through eight teams. We're going too slow? No, we're about, no, we're about right. We're about on pace. This is pretty good. We are missing team, though, in the AFC South is Houston. So we'll do them last and give the chat a chance to throw in some Texans yeah. questions. Give me a Texans question, or I'll make one up with a fake name. I'll say uh, Steph Stradley asks or something like that. The uh, diehard Houston Texans fan. Um, Indianapolis Colts. Better offensive line. Better weapons. Will Matt Ryan rise from the ashes and be the clear, clear, in all caps, Mm. best QB in the AFC South? Spencer Schreiner asks this question. No. Whoa. Who will be? Well, in order for him him to be the clear best quarterback, he would need to be significantly better this year than Ryan Tannehill. I just think that's probably an unreasonable ask. Is he going to be like, – why would he be dramatically better than Ryan Tannehill based off the evidence of the last couple of years for both players? Tannehill's been better in a more protected scheme and all that stuff. But, you know, Tannehill could – He's still there. It's not he like could still regress back into uh, Miami Tannehill, which is a, a mid-70s type of quarterback. And then you get Matt Ryan. I mean, he could, but why would Elevating he? up to an 85 quarterback. I think that's, that's a realistic possibility. Is it? Yeah. Why? Because in any given se- – because – at the end of the season, I was like, I, I go to you, Sam. Ryan Tannehill was a 75. 
Matt Ryan, you know, had a rejuvenated season and, and graded at 85. It's pretty clear. It's a clear difference. That's, that's an egregious thing that we could be discussing in January? I don't think so. I mean, so Matt Ryan, in two of the last three years, has a grade of basically 75. He's gone 75, 76, 83, 75. Um, that, I would imagine, is his baseline at this point. So the, as much as you gain from— Tannehill's going the other way. He's yeah, been— It's a better offensive line. I don't know if the receiving group is that much better. I agree. Um, I, I think Colts fans <laughs> might overrate their weapons a little bit. On the other hand— they scored a lot of points last year. The Colts offense scored a ton of points. Mm. Granted, 50 of them came against the Jets, but <laughs> they scored a ton of points last year with the Carson Wentz, you know, playing conservative ball and, yeah. so, and look, the, the running back carrying them, Jonathan Taylor. I can imagine a world where, Tan, where Matt Ryan sort of hits his best season of the last three. So he's 83, 82 again. My bigger point is I'm just not sure why Ryan Tannehill would suddenly turn back into a pumpkin. Um, like he's since turning up in Tennessee, he's been ninety two point five, ninety point three, eighty three point five, which is the I'll tell you why ceiling, right? That the eighty three point five, the lowest point of Tannehill, is the highest point that Matt Ryan has hit in the last three years, and that was when Derrick Henry missed half, half the year. Derrick Henry, <clears throat> Derrick Henry is going to be back this season. You know, I was on David Chow's podcast, Pro Football Doc. And he's like talking up Derrick Henry because this is not it's not the kind of injury that is a long term concern. It's not a lingering thing. It's not a repeating thing. It's just like one thing that puts you down for half a year or a year. So Henry's going to be back this season. And when that happens, they've got um, Robert Woods. They've got Traylon Burks. They've got weapons. They got you know the offensive line is a question mark. But again, I just why would Tannehill stink? AJ Brown losing AJ Brown. Right. You gain Robert Woods. You gain Traylon Burks and his asthma. <laughs> I saw a catch the other day in training camp. Traylon Burks like plucks it out of the sky in a deep bomb. Looked just like AJ Brown. All right, I'm glad that you're in now. I'm glad you're you're into uh, Dante Moncrief. You know, July superstars. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you're finally on board with buying into all the training camp hype. So I so if I was if I was betting, you know, we, we'll have a betting show soon. We got like over 40 bets to make a decisions bets, on. We yeah. appreciate everybody. Maybe slow down a little bit, guys. We can't bet on everything. Um, if I was betting, I'd say no. You know, Ryan, uh, Matt Ryan will not be the clear top quarterback in the AFC South. But, I, but it's not like 100%. You know, I'm more like 60-40 saying no. 70-30. So I'll say no. I think that's a that resounding happen. no for me. Resounding no. I'll say yeah. a soft no. Matt Ryan will clear, not be the best. Clear best quarterback. Clear best. We're talking, you know, 8 to 10 grading points better than Tannehill. Uh, plus Trevor Lawrence, you know, in that mix, and Davis Mills in that mix. Yeah. Did you read out that person's name, or am I just Spencer blank, Schreiner blanking those every no, time? No, Spencer. Yeah. Um, we have a, then with, for the Jaguars. We have a question from someone called Everybody. Yeah. Look, pretty much everyone asks the same question for Jacksonville, which is like, just how big is the upgrade from Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson? And is everybody you know underselling how big an upgrade that is? I think this is one you have to answer with, um, not you know off the field from an off the field standpoint so of our listeners has anyone had just a, a really good boss and a really bad boss have you have you ever had that that a b analysis of working under a boss where productivity suffers and then one where productivity thrives i think i think everybody can probably relate i mean i've never really worked a real job played <laughs> baseball then showed up here at pff so i don't know yeah. but i'm sure other people can relate to having 
good and bad bosses and seeing the difference in product productivity. Well, and I think that's that's like the starting point. We're not talking X's and O's. Like we're talking horrible situation versus just a reasonable situation from Meyer to Peterson and how that's going to affect the entire squad. Yeah, or you go back to, you know, school or college with teachers. Yeah, that's good. Right? One. I mean, it's for a different reason, but imagine the difference between, like, the best teacher you had and the substitute teacher that came in and the class went nuts and the teacher just couldn't control anything, right? Now, that it's not a... The reasons are different, right? Urban Meyer didn't... It wasn't bad because he lost control of everybody. It was bad because of the opposite. Like, he had too much control, tried to treat everybody like children was kicking his kicker, all those kinds of things, right? But I think the the output is the same, which is one of them is a great experience and the other one is a terrible experience and nobody benefits from. So that, I think, is the difference, is you're going from what is and every, every extra quote, every story, every new piece of information that comes out only enhances just how absurdly toxic that situation appears to have been with urban meyer and how incredibly i just it blows my mind continually that that guy has been as successful as he has with that attitude even adjusting for the difference between like college and professional you know athletes and all those kinds of things right and that's different from say bobby knight at indiana having a history of say anger issues but ultimately the players liked him right i mean this is a different thing this is like nothing urban meyer did was positive for his team and i think we might look back remember when they upset the bear the bills uh, nine to six, they beat the Bills. Like the Urban Meyer Jaguars. Josh in what? Josh Allen game. The Josh, Josh Allen, Allen game, right? Josh when Allen Josh Allen of Josh the Jaguars, Allen. you know, established dominance mm-hmm. with his name, right, over the other Josh Allen. We're gonna look back at that game, saying, "What? How? Especially like if the Bills went on to well, win that's the how. Super Bowl. I mean, it was the Josh Allen. It was game. Josh Allen of the Jaguars took over. But yeah, so I. I think that there is a... I think it's three. It's like a three-game baseline. You're going to win three more games just by showing up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just by everybody not hating their existence, being in that building, it is going to be huge. And I, I think that's a fair thing. Every time, like, yeah, it, it is going to be a massive difference just everybody going to work and actually pulling in the same direction rather than everybody going to work and hating the job because the guy in charge is a lunatic. Big difference then. All right, you read out the um, Titans question. I'll, I'll surf the chat, see if we have any uh, Texans questions here. Uh, if Derrick Henry is no longer King Henry, where does Tennessee slip to in the AFC? And that's Nick from Tennessee. Well, Nick, I think that's another three games. I think that could be a tough one because, yeah, they won a lot without Henry last year. I get it. But he's he's the type of guy that, we come on here because we, we, we analyze every single game during the season. And we're the, we, we, we look at a macro level. We look at, yeah, I wouldn't pay running backs and all that stuff. But there's two or three times a year where like, hey, that was yesterday's game was Derrick Henry taking over. Mm-hmm. Or yesterday's game was Dalvin Cook taking over, right? Like running backs can do that at times at an individual level. And it does feel like Derrick Henry does that two or three times a year. Um, where if you if you chase it too much, it's probably detrimental to the team. If you just try to give him 30 carries every game just because, it's probably detrimental over time. But there are certain games where it's just like, man, you couldn't tackle him in the fourth quarter and overtime or whatever it might be. I think you're talking about a couple game difference here for the for the Titans. I, again, I think AJ Brown's the bigger issue. But if you then lose Derrick Henry and his ability, 
it's tough to replicate what the Titans did last year, which was beat all the good teams, do it with all these players that people have never heard of, and still end up with the number one seed. It'll be tough to to replicate that. Yeah. I mean, I do think they slip a lot. Like, even last year, the half year without Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill took a step back. And okay, they still won games, but they weren't the same force. And remember... We are like a year removed from going into that year and questioning everything we know about running backs and their relationship with offense because of Derrick Henry, right? It's like maybe Derrick Henry is actually the thing that causes Ryan Tannehill, not Ryan Tannehill causing Derrick Henry, right? Which is the question we would ask for everybody else. That's the kind of performance Derrick Henry has been giving over the last few years. And that's probably not changing just because he missed half the year with his first real injury in forever, so if he isn't that guy anymore, they go back to being, and particularly this AFC, right? What everybody has just done this offseason, the arms race, et cetera. Um, I, don't, I don't know that they make the playoffs if Derrick Henry is just an ordinary running back. Well, sorry, Nick. They, sorry think, Nick from Tennessee. I think at that point they lose out to Indianapolis, and whoever loses out in that division I don't think is getting a wild card this year. So they become just another team. All right, I found the Texans question from Twitter. Okay. And it's about considering what the Texans will have in next year's draft, how many capable or quality starters would they need to find this season in order to to compete for the playoffs or division in 2023? So in other words, what are the Texans fans, like what are they looking for? Assuming they're not going to make the playoffs this year, what should the Texans fans be rooting for? How many players do they need to find this year who are going to be a part of the 2023 team and, you know, them making a playoff push? I think it's I think it's the young guys. It's just sort of trying to find a couple of you know, the thing about the Texans is they haven't really started this yet. You know. By the way, but it's also just the quarterback, right? I mean, it would have to yeah, be but I Davis just, Mills looks really good, not just like oh, pretty good for a third rounder. I'm he looks working, really good in year two. I'm working on the basis that the long term starting quarterback of the Texans is not on the roster. Right okay, now, right. I don't think that Davis Mills, as much as he outperformed expectations as a rookie, I don't think he's going to end up being the guy at the end of this year and in particular I don't I don't know that he has the platform to be the guy this year so if he did show it it would be really impressive but let's assume that the quarterback is not a realistic thing for them at which point they haven't yet had a chance to invest the stockpile that they've accumulated from trading away to Sean Watson from treading water over the last couple of years so the best they can hope is that a few of the players that they've just drafted through having to spend picks over the last couple of years actually turn into something. So guys like Nico Collins, a wide receiver, he flashed a little bit as a rookie. If he takes a, a year two jump and actually ends up being a really good wide receiver, a good starter, that's huge for them. They locked up Brandon Cooks. Um, so that would all of a sudden give them a pretty good wide receiver group. Poor old uh, John Mechie was diagnosed with leukemia and isn't going to show up, uh, isn't going to you know be a factor in year one. Hopefully he recovers hopefully he beats that and and we get to see him in future but he won't be a factor this year but that that i think is it is essentially the young guys that they've invested in the last couple of years are long-term solutions guys like jonathan grenard who had a really good pass rushing grade last year had something like 27 pressures and like 200 pass rushes which is a pretty good return if he gets given a larger role and continues to rush the passer at that kind of level so it's not a huge amount, I think, but if you can come away with, you know, three or four of those young guys that you've drafted the last couple of years looking like cornerstone pieces, that's that's big. 
Yeah, so Grenard's a good a good example. You've got um, next year they do have a lot more players under contract, right? It's not it's not a whole bunch of one year deals this year where guys are going to be gone next year. So Jalen Petre in the draft could be another guy you're looking at. So to me, it's like one guy per position group, right? Get a get another defensive lineman to develop. Get a linebacker. Get a couple guys in the secondary. You know, hopefully Stingley is is as as advertised, mm-hmm. um, and then you upgrade a quarterback potentially and maybe you're competing so six or seven you know like a guy per, per position that you feel pretty good about moving forward if you're the texans so let's say eight eight, eight players six to eight players that you feel good about that are solid starters and then you start building around that in the draft and free agency and whatever you do a quarterback yeah i mean if you assume they already have a bunch of those players right that's saying like a laramie tunsil is right. already still pretty good and yeah. brandon cooks is already still pretty good and maybe i think you if, they, him for if more. they can come out of this year with like three or four young guys that are new in terms of adding to that list right so yeah. brandon cooks laramie tunsil those are guys you know are there long term and are good if you can add three or four guys of the, you know like the Jonathan Grenards of the world, the uh, the Nico Collins of the world. If you can add three or four of those names, then I think they're in. Yeah. That was a good season. Do we have something for the Broncos here? Uh, are they missing as well? No, no. It looks like they are missing. Oh, you didn't highlight them. I didn't. No. We're going to skip the AFC West for for a minute here. Entirely. We'll, yeah, we'll come back to the AFC West and get their questions. I mean, we'll we can also make up our own questions. I mean, it's going to be Russell Wilson and the odd yeah, things. Yeah. Things we've talked about before. Definitely had Broncos questions, right? You'll have to find it. Let me go to the NFC East here. Uh, Dallas Cowboys. Where does Michael Gallup rank among number two wide receivers? And would you have paid him fifty million dollars on a five-year deal? From Bobby Nelson. I would say um, I didn't go back and rank all of the number twos. <laughs> I apologize, but I would say he's top three or four number two wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's and when you do when I, I think when you say that it's like well the bucks kind of have two number one wide receivers so i'm not i'm not comparing michael gallup to say chris godwin i don't think okay um but i think if you when i look at number two wide receivers i'm looking at like a Corey davis on that list uh maybe you put a mike williams on that list right and i think gallup's right up there and i think 10 million dollars a year yeah for a gallup is is good i think that's fine that's that's cheaper than a Corey Davis, and I think Gallup's probably a, a you know better rounded player that can win at more you know all levels versus Davis, who's a little bit more limited. Yeah, when you consider that the Chargers are paying two different receivers twenty million dollars a year to have right. one of the best number two wide receivers in the league locked up at ten million dollars a year at half that cost, I think is a steal. So, wide receiver is one of the most important positions in the NFL to dedicate ten million dollars a year for a second player at that spot I think is absolutely fine and yeah I would do that deal with Gallup all day all right so we like it that's a good that's a it's a good deal for the Cowboys New York Giants what's a Daniel Jones improvement you would expect to see brought on by Brian Dable that's from David O brings that question to us what kind of improvement from Daniel Jones um so yeah he was asking kind of specific things that that brian dable can improve about daniel jones and one of the things i think that dable will do is simply bring an offense that gets you into the right play more often you know which sounds like a really obvious and simple thing but the quarterback is going to look better when he's executing a play 
that is attacking the right area of your defense at the right time in the right situation and he's not trying to do something that's simply not on based off what the defense is running you know what I mean yeah and like those are things that are difficult to quantify but the play calling element I think is a much bigger thing for Daniel Jones year one than any hope that Debo will come in and like rework his mechanics and all of a sudden he'll be like a better more accurate you know he you're not going to see like this Josh Allen-esque leap from Daniel Jones because of Dayball coming in and like fundamentally retooling his skill set. But you might see a significant jump from him simply by the play calling being better and Dayball actually running things that are scheming receivers more open than we've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think the... Yeah, I, the other thing that we talked about earlier today is how pass-heavy the Bills have been. So just not not working in an offense that's run-run-pass, that doesn't have motion. I mean, they'll just be more freebies in there, right? It'll be early down passes when teams are playing the run a little bit more. There'll be a little bit more motion. There'll be more open throws. So I think production-wise, Daniel Jones can take a step forward. You'd expect better stats. Right, and I think it'll show up almost across the board. I think you'll see a better accuracy rate from Jones. I think you'll see a higher you know yard per attempt figure you'll see a better passer rating like these are the ways that that kind of improved play calling will manifest itself and you'll probably see a better pff grade because of it all right there you go so mr daniel jones apologist over here you're expecting uh pro bowl season from daniel jones pro bowl no oh okay but i do expect him to be that to be better all right philadelphia eagles from joe mcculley are the Eagles and everything they've done to build this roster, are they doomed if Jalen Hurts doesn't get any better? <laughs> uh, no, they're not doomed, but it is, it's not ideal. <laughs> I, think they've, I think they've played the game well in terms of hedging with Jalen Hurts. They're not, they're not all in with Jalen Hurts, a quarterback, and if he doesn't work out, the whole thing is busted. You know, it's a bust of flush. They need to blow it all up, start over. They've set themselves up in a pretty reasonable position to be able to pivot away from Jalen Hurts if he doesn't improve and isn't clearly the guy. And in particular, I think, when his contract is due, you know? So if they get to that Baker Mayfield decision period where it's like, okay, $40 million a year or not, yes or no, uh, and they decide no, I think they can get away from Jalen Hurts and the roster is still in good uh, a good position and they still have capital to go after another quarterback. So... It's definitely a setback, and they've built a team that I think could reasonably contend this year if Jalen Hurts takes a step forward and is the guy. But if he isn't, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, look, I, I think the, the pivot to the running game last year, as we say all the time here, raises the floor of the offense. Hurts doesn't necessarily have to develop. So doomed, again, is the wrong word. Like the Eagles were a playoff team last year with Jalen Hurts, as is the roster is probably better this year so doomed no are they make us make a super bowl run probably not right with this roster and some of the moves they've made and maybe we've overrated some of the moves but i love aj brown you know jordan davis is going to be one of the more intriguing stories for football nerds i think and and what that does for their defense and their their early down run defense and all that fun stuff but if jalen hurts is the same guy they're still a probably a borderline playoff team if he gets better 
maybe they're that you know don't want to play the Eagles right remember every every week we we change who the team is that you just don't want to run into in the playoffs that's that's at least the Eagles you yeah. know if, if Hurts gets better I don't want to play good teams ever Oh, you don't want to play like a team. bad team. Every, you don't want to play anybody in the playoffs. Every time. Every time I would like to, to have the weakest opposition possible. This is, well, this is the Jaguar strategy. They don't want to play teams in the playoffs. And well, it's, yeah, it's an easy way of That's how you do it. Certain teams that. have goals, mm. and, then, and they hit them every year. It's like that, that uh, philosophy of you're going to have to beat the best teams at some point. It's not true. It's not you, true. You can have a charmed existence and face the worst team possible yeah. like every all the way through. Plus, you get more offseason. Somebody else might knock out the best team, and you have to face them. You know? You don't have to face the best team every that's time. A, that's a good point. Also a good point. All right, Washington Commanders. Speaking of the playoffs, we have from at Eat Sleep Hail. It seems that the goal for the Washington Commanders this season is to make the playoffs. What does the team need to do to make that happen? Uh, they need to make sure that Carson Wentz ha- is very happy. You know, he doesn't get bummed out. He doesn't start looking over his shoulder and think, ooh, that, that Sam Howell guy's got a big arm and a fine beard, and I should be concerned about that. He needs to just be happy and, you know, live his best life and just air the ball out to Terry McLaurin and hope everything goes well. Like, they, they genuinely need, they need Carson Wentz to get back to at least 2019 Carson Wentz is essentially the bottom line. And the best way of that happening is for Carson Wentz to be happy with his existence. So remind people, 2019, Carson Wentz's career in a nutshell. Yeah. Decent for, for a rookie in 2016. MVP caliber, you know, high-end quarterback in 2017. Pretty much average in 18 and 19. And the situation got worse, so the stats got worse. 2020, worst starting quarterback in the NFL. 2021, the lower end of average, we'll say, for Wentz. QB Much worse than his 27 touchdowns, the seven interception box score would suggest. Correct. So Wentz needs to play better. Um, Jahan Dotson, who just made a huge catch at training camp, so he's awesome. Sweet. Um, I'm back on board on Jahan Dotson. I, I, was, I was too mean to him <laughs> around draft time. Okay. So I think Dotson's going to be good. Him and McLaurin as a one-two punch. The defensive line staying healthy and rushing the passer like they did in 2020. That's the fun part about this stuff, right? Like, last year at this time, we're talking about how Washington made the playoffs, and maybe they're going to have a tougher run at it, but the defensive line is the best young D-line in the league, and they made these additions in the secondary. They added William Jackson, whose play fluctuates. Last year was on the low end of variance. This year needs to be on the better end of variance. The pieces are there for Washington to to make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, Chase Young rediscovering Chase Young. Sure. Be a big thing. Yeah. You know, when you watch, he hasn't developed and become the kind of player that we thought he would be yet. Now, you look at his tape and the talent is still there. It's, remember when we were looking through uh, Aiden Hutchinson's plays and you're like, you know what's a little bit concerning is that every win is the same? You know, they yeah. all look, they were all the same move. And you're like, okay, you're probably going to need more than that at the next level. And in particular, the way you're winning is not massively encouraging. Jace Young's tape in the NFL is kind of similar. Almost every win is an inside counter move. He's really good using his hands and shedding that block, and he's quick so he can get inside uh, offensive linemen. And almost every single win he has is that inside counter. But at some point, I think offensive tackles are realizing he's not actually countering anything. You know what I mean? Like there's no – the inside counter works because you're countering the overset that the tackle is making – because they're scared of the speed that you're showing them every single play. Young isn't doing that. So 
the, the counter has become the base and there's no counter to the counter. So I think my point is that if he wants to become the player that it looked like he should become, and remember, he has college grading that places him essentially slightly ahead of Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, those guys who have become Pro Bowl slash All-Pro type players. If he wants to be that guy, I think he needs to trust his freaky athleticism and speed and like attack the edge a little bit more, then lean back on the inside counter that's devastating. So we got the, the blueprint for Washington. Just what, be better. Wentz be better. Everybody be better. Defensive line be better. William Jackson be better. Jamin Davis sort of uh, getting there mentally in year two. You know, year one, you could kind of see the cogs turning and it had him a step behind the play every single time. If he's there in terms of uh, reading the play, then he can just take advantage of his athleticism and speed and all those kinds of things. That would be big. And then from a run game perspective, is there another one of those places where the the run blocking was pretty good, graded well, but every time you look at their running backs, particularly Antonio Gibson, he was kind of like below average in um, expected yards or whatever you want to call it. So uh, maybe my dynasty dude, Brian Robinson, the rookie, comes in and fixes some of that. So get better across the board here, Washington. Okay. All right, NFC North, Chicago Bears. Oh, did you fill in the AFC West? Yeah. Should we put – where do you want to put the West so it kind of makes sense? Do you want to put it with the other West toward the end? I mean, I think once you've skipped the division, asking for it to make sense is is, uh, is folly. It doesn't make any just, sense. Just do it because we forget about it again. AFC West. Yeah. From Matthew Miller. The chat came Denver up. Broncos. The chat room. All right. Gave us questions. Matthew Miller, which offensive player takes the biggest jump with Russell Wilson? Well, obviously, Jerry I'll say Judy, Jerry of Judy. course. <laughs> yeah, I'm Jerry Judy. And I'll say Tim Patrick. Yeah. I, you know, I think you might, I, as much as I hate it, I think you might be right that it, it's Tim Patrick more than Jerry Judy. My concern with Judy is that I don't think the Broncos are going to give him the role to dominate the way he can. I, so, I think he can be a complete number one outside type of receiver, even with a relative lack of, like, mossing people type skills. Um, But I think they're going to put him in the slot primarily and just let him be that guy where he gets wide the hell open every single play and he's your high-volume slot type of player. And that's fine. He'll be a really good player, and I think he'll take a big leap with Russell Wilson as his quarterback. But that's generally not the area that Russell Wilson targets the most. It's also sort of omitting – an area of those big plays from his game that will place a cap on how good he can be. Whereas Tim Patrick will play outside a lot of the time, has shown the ability to go deep down the field, could easily become, you know, a, a high volume, deep, th- deep target kind of guy in that offense and may end up having a much bigger leap because of it. I think everybody immediately thinks, well, look at what Russell Wilson did with Tyler Lockett. And I think you mentioned, you know, Judy doesn't have the mossing ability and just the straight-up contested catch percentage. I mean, Tyler Lockett is at the high end of that. Think about all the highlight reel plays where you have Russ to Lockett in the end zone, back of the end zone, sideline, and the tight window catches that Tyler Lockett makes. I think Judy kind of does lack that in his game. Now, getting open and all that fun stuff, I think he'll do a good job of that. So, yeah, Judy takes a step forward. I think Tim Patrick, though, gets some more of those tight window opportunities some of those throws that russell wilson excels with so i'll go with that i'll go with tim patrick i mean Cortland sutton too man one year removed from you know the injury or you know another year of, of health you know from sutton so I, I would just lean toward the big bodied receivers rather than jerry judy we'll say hmm. i think mm-hmm. there's also it's also uh 
possible that KJ Hamler as that designated deep threat gets a lot of those moon ball type targets. I hope so. I mean, do you think people look at Hamler as too much of a, a shifty slot rather than a speed? No, I, I think he, he would play in the slot, but I think he would go vertical basically all the time. And Wilson will take those shots. He's just not going to you know, work the intermediate level or the middle. All right, Kansas City Chiefs. Adam Bast is asking us to bet our life. Our life. If you had to bet your life on a receiver, which on a wide receiver leading the Chiefs in yards this season, is it Mikael Hardman, Sky Moore, Juju Smith-Schuster, or Marquez Valdez-Scantling? Which one and why? Sky Moore. You would bet your life on Sky Moore. Of those four, yes. Of those, well, those are the four. Those are the top four receivers on the Chiefs. Yeah. You're going to bet your life on Sky Moore leading the Chiefs in yards this season. Yeah, I mean, assuming I have to bet my life on one of them, which I, I would imagine is the premise here, then wow. yeah, he's the guy I would I'd put it on. I disagree. Why? Why? Because I think he has the best skill set of any of the four. He... Look, I took a lot of crap because one of the Mike Sando things, one of the bits in that is was from a guy saying that he believes that the Chiefs essentially are forcing Patrick Mahomes into this modified style of uh, shallower targets, higher volume, higher efficiency, the stuff that Brady and Peyton Manning and blah, blah, blah yeah. pivoted to down the years. They're forcing him into that by trading away Tyreek Hill, essentially, and saying, well, you don't have the guy anymore to go YOLO deep down the field and throw this hero ball. you got to be more patient. you got to be more efficient. And we're going to remove the temptation of the guy that might be preventing you from doing that. I think there's some truth to that. I, I imagine there is a price at which they would have kept Tyreek Hill. But I think there's definitely an element to which they're saying, you know what, this might be good for Patrick Mahomes to make him play the style of offense that – I don't want to say they struggled with last year, right? Because the Chiefs still, like, led the league in a bunch of categories offensively and put up a ton of points and yards and all those kinds of things. But when you, when you set the baseline of otherworldly best offense in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes was unusually bad at staying patient and not making a mistake, which is what teams were forcing him into more and more. I do think there's truth to the idea, one, that Tyree Kill didn't help that overall because of the sort of the pressure on Mahomes to take a shot and number two that there's people in the building in Kansas City that believe that and were happy to trade him away for all the picks because of it so with that in mind if that's the approach they're going Sky Moore can work from every position along that offense um, out wide in the slot he has an amazing package of release play you know releases off the line of scrimmage he can get open he is tougher than people give him credit for. He's the best composite of the skills you need to get all the catches. Like, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is the deep threat. Juju is the limited slot guy that can be a possession receiver. Hardman is the gimmick. Sky Moore can do all of that at the same time. Okay. Compelling case. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple things here. First off, there's breaking news about the Chiefs. Okay. that uh, I'll reveal in a second here. I was going to go Juju Smith-Schuster. I think a lot of what you said about them essentially extracting better, more better-rounded quarterback play out of Patrick Mahomes, fascinating case, and I don't hate it. Um, but the breaking news, uh, we'll come back to it. Let me come back to it. Let me say, it's Juju Smith-Schuster. He's been restricted in that Steelers offense. I think they'll expand his role. 
And Juju, he's pretty good at the catch point. He'll work a little bit from the slot, a little bit outside. I think Juju Smith-Schuster, in part because it is really tough. As much as I, I like Sky Moore too, man, it's so tough for rookies to be that guy right away. It is really difficult. I think we forget that sometimes because we've seen a few high-end rookies really hit the ground running. I'm not sure if Sky Moore's going to do that right away. So I'll take Juju. The breaking news is for the Chiefs. Free agent, defensive end, Carlos Dunlap. Uh, he's finished an x-ray. He, uh, according to Josina Anderson, intends to sign a one-year deal with the chefs. The chefs. She said chefs. I love it. Um, it's the Chiefs, worth up to $8 million. I only find that funny because of the old commercial. commercial. Please tell me somebody has I re- quoted that with that picture. I responded with great googly moogly. Hmm. And I think not enough people get no. it. <laughs> only like- seven likes so far. Yeah. But it's a good response. That's not disrespectful or anything, right? I mean, we're just having fun with a typo, hmm. which is cool. So Carlos Dunlap, the guy that is um, closest to my body type in the NFL, 6'8", about 280. We're the, he's my closest comp. Yeah, very loose terms here. Closest comp. Uh, just body type is body type is adding some inferences there that oh. I'm not sure you just Height and weight. We'll just say height yeah. and weight. Just using those two data I don't points. Think the, uh, the, I, don't think those, I don't think the 280 <laughs> is comprised the same way. Well, of course we're referencing the 90s commercial where the guy paints the end zone and it's like, that's great, but who are the chefs? And he says, great googly moogly. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it's, it's much funnier when you explain it to everybody. Anyway, Carlos Dunlap to the chefs. Yeah. So I'll take Juju. You'll take Sky Moore. Sorry, why were you taking Juju? Did you tell us that? Yeah. I, so I think, I think we're forgetting that he was, he was really good as a complimentary piece to Antonio Brown. He was good as a slot that the, ran vertically a lot more. He was in this... Ben Roethlisberger, dink and dunk offense where he was like his average depth of time. He, what do you average? Eight, nine yards per catch each, each of the last couple of years in part because of the offense in part because Big Ben can't throw. So Juju is going to, they're going to tap into his skill set that has not been tapped into by the Steelers the last couple of years. So I think Smith Schuster becomes more of a high volume guy. I think Sky Moore becomes a nice little uh, third down option. I think Mecole Hardman becomes the, you know, he's the gimmick guy still, like you're saying, and, and Valdez-Scantling's the deep threat. But I would, I would put Sky Moore third on that list, to be honest. Third? Yes. You think he's going to have less yards than Marquez Valdez-Scantling? Yeah, because Valdez-Scantling's going to have like 50 catches for, you know, 1,100 yards or something like that. That's what's going to happen. So I'll take Juju. Okay. Leading in yards. He's not, he's not an eight-catch eight yards per reception receiver <laughs> do you know what valdez scantling's career high is for yards like 550 or something uh 690 690 he's yeah. got 2153 yards in four years yeah he'll have 50 catches for a thousand more than yeah how many does sky Moore have in the nfl I, I don't know but he's gonna have more than he's gonna beat marquez valdez scantling's average in year one comfortably no i don't think so Las Vegas Raiders, we got the question is, Bo Sox lover, 12, go Sox. <laughs> it's been a rough. Did you see the Red Sox score? The, you, you, you even texted me the Red Sox score the other day. Yeah. 28 to 5. Is that what it finished? was the final. Yeah, there was okay. 28 to 3 at one point. It was. It? The 27-3. Yeah. 27-3. Or maybe you got the 28-3. I they needed up. Brady. I didn't watch after that. They needed Brady. I only saw, I saw the score, and with my very limited baseball knowledge, I was like, that seems like an unusually high number. Uh, I wonder what the record is for a baseball game. So I Google it, and it was like 30-3 to three or something is the, the highest yeah. blowout. Big... Is that the Rangers? 
I don't know. Maybe. But that's like the largest win margin ever. I was like, oh, look. Terrible. Boston's it was 10 nothing. I was the tune of a record. I was driving to Maine. It was 10 nothing. I turned off the radio. I'm like, I don't want to listen to this game. And then I got to Maine and was getting text messages that it was 27 to 3 and all this stuff. It was. Yeah. Anyway, Bull Sox lover, also a Raiders fan, apparently. Is the offensive line good enough for a top five offense? <sighs> Probably not. It's a great test case, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Look, like, Devon- Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, and whatever you think of Hunter Renfro. It's up there, man. Where I mean, that's top five, I think, as, as playmakers. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's another example of like how much moving one player can transform those kinds of things. Just like the Bengals with Jamar Chase. Like, you're looking at that receiving group, and you're like, yeah, it's okay, but they're really in need of this like alpha. And then you get the alpha, and all of a sudden, like, wow, this is one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. Yeah, it is. I mean, because you, you, have, you have Darren Waller, and he's one of those, you know, top five tight ends, uh, the best, according to some. What an incredible starting point with Waller and Adams. So I think they could be a top five offense. I'll say yes. So they ranked 17th last season in EPA per play on offense. Uh, what other things are worth looking at for that kind of just how good is an offense? Successful play rate. They ranked... 17th again okay so let's say they were 17th in offense last season by I gotta get up into the top five by at least two metrics uh does Devonte adams move them from 17 to five at least well the packers were top five right i think the packers drop out of the top five but they also had a good offensive line so that's they had adams plus a good offensive line plus by the way a better no i know i'm just saying in this analysis i think the packers are going to drop off yeah so who's going to jump up i don't think the dolphins get like of these teams that we're talking about i don't think it's the dolphins i don't know if it's the eagles like these teams that other the other teams that got the wide receiver one i think the raiders have the best shot of the teams who got this fresh wide receiver one because they have Derek. i mean here's the thing you the other way of looking at it is if you look at the teams that did lead this category last year kansas city one of the best offensive lines in the nfl green bay good offensive line despite weird personnel uh, Buffalo creep back toward average, the first sort of average offensive line in the list. Tampa Bay, good offensive line. The Chargers, good offensive line, bar the right tackle. Dallas, good offensive line. Rams, good offensive line. San Francisco, good offensive line, despite some questionable personnel. Patriots, good offensive line. The, the nine of the top ten, sorry, eight of the top ten, um, had at least good offensive lines. Buffalo being the one average one there. So... And, and the Raiders' offensive line was a, a lot worse than average. Buffalo ranked about 20th last year, I think, O-line-wise. Yeah, I guess below average, but overall it's an average offensive line, I would say. And we're talking about the Raiders. You would need – yeah, it doesn't look good. They were like yeah, – On paper. Colton were, Miller's become a, a, a good left tackle. Beyond that, everybody else had below average war, below average grade. John Simpson, Andre James, Alex Leatherwood would have to take a massive step forward. Brandon Parker – or you have a Dylan Parham step in as a rookie and play well. I don't know that the pieces are there with the Raiders. Yeah, I'm Okay, so now you talked me out of it. I'll say no, they won't be a top five offense in EPA, but they will be top ten. Okay, top ten. AFC West. Did you do the Chargers? Los Angeles Chargers. Will the Chargers still invite the run, quote, invite the run with their new defense, or will they involve, uh, evolve that plan? That's from Katon Quincy. I think they will still do that as part of the game plan um i think the way that brandon staley has been doing things i think it's pretty clear that he understands the way the nfl is going in terms of where the where analytics and those kinds of things are pushing decision making 
from a coaching and schematic point of view. Now, he may have gone like beyond where it's pushing them in terms of some fourth down decisions and that kind of thing. But the idea that the Chargers are going to go for a lot more fourth downs than other people, they're going to go for two points more than other people, they're going to invite the run when that's you know sacrosanct and something you should never be doing. You need to stop the run first and foremost. He's going to be pushing the envelope for that kind of thing, at which point I think the fact that they got lit up last year doing that is not going to dissuade him from doing it. He just understands that that was a personnel problem. And we get in Khalil Mack, we get in Sebastian Joseph Day, we get in some other players – and we are going to be better against the run. We will still schematically line up in a way that says, yeah, if you want to beat us, give it a shot, and we'll hope that we're better than we were against the Cleveland Browns last year. Yeah, I mean, I think, quick answer, yes. The strategy continues and that they built, as you said, they built to, to execute it, right? I mean, it doesn't mean a lot of times because we have, we have different types of listeners, right, Sam? Like we have people that no X's and O's that don't, that listen to us in passing, listen to us religiously, whatever it might be. So sometimes we speak in some high-level absolutes, right? Like, this team likes to play zone, play man, invite the run, stop the run. I mean, so it's, it's, it's more complicated than that, right? Defensive football is not just, hey, play six men in the box and invite the run. But there are these high-level concepts, I think, that do get employed by certain teams, and that's one of them by the Chargers, and I believe they will continue with that. So sometimes it seems like we oversimplify things but i think it's just better for the conversation so just wanted to add that to the to the mix there all right let's go to the nfc north three more divisions to discuss here chicago bears can coaching slash scheme make the bears offense better than projections offensive coordinator luke getzi comes over from green bay shanahan tree etc yeah in case it wasn't clear i edited some of these questions <laughs> like they, you know they, that was that was the question we, got, we probably via, got some like yeah yeah the question by email was more you know was structured in a way that has sentences and things mr c nile yeah it's from mr c nile mm-hmm. um are we so I, let me repose this are we not because we throw shanahan tree on every shanahan tree shanahan tree this uh, jets have the shanahan tree and the dolphins have the shanahan tree and that means it's good are we missing it? We, the Bears, Shanahan tree. Are we missing some positive talk about the Bears because Luke Getzey is from the is from the tree, the trust tree, the tree of the Shanahans. Uh, and the Bears have been adding players to that offensive line the last few days. Riley Reef, now probably their left yeah. tackle. Um, they added a guard as well, who I forget who it was right now. But look, they have arguably the worst group of receivers and offensive line in the NFL on paper. Therefore, the projections of that offense have been bad. Uh, can scheme offset that to the point Michael where it's Schofield. actually a Was lot better? It? Michael Schofield. Um, I, I mean, maybe a little bit, but I think it's still bad, right? Like, I don't think, I don't think a Shanahan coaching tree can take what they have in terms of personnel and be like, so... They may have a guy from the Shanahan coaching tree, but they didn't get actual tin cup, right? They didn't get the guy that can <laughs> shoot 62 yeah. with a spade and a, and a rake and whatever else Shanahan or whatever else tin cup broke out in that little montage to, to do the guy out of money. You know what I mean? Only yeah, Kyle Shanahan is capable of doing that. Everyone else has like the blueprint, but they don't have the skills. They added your guy to kill Harry too. <laughs> yeah. Fellas Jones. I mean, I... What are expectations? Can they make the Bears' offense better than projections? Yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, that's the answer for anybody. If the expectations are so low, I mean, we're talking about the Bears 
is anybody projecting the Bears to have better than a bottom five offense? Probably right. not. Uh, so can they get out of the, the bottom five? Maybe. Yes. I mean, look, it also depends on Justin Fields as well. Is is If Justin Fields is as good, some people really believed in him. Some people didn't believe in him. The people that really believed in him, if they are right, Justin Fields, arm talent, rushing ability, uh, downfield throwing ability, all of the things that he brings to the table, if, he, if he's the one who takes that big step in year two, then he can drag Equinemia St. Brown and Byron Pringle and Darnell Mooney becomes a true number one and Nikhil Harry becomes this this yak monster that he can be and the offensive line is, you know, whatever, 20th, 25th, then yeah, they could maybe not rank bottom five. But I think, I think it's more Fields takes a huge step forward and you have some other guys emerge and it, it just doesn't look great on paper right now. Yeah. So is it possible? Yes, I would not. I still rank them low. Right. I mean, my overall point is I don't think that the scheme alone is going to be enough to offset what looks like a very, very bad group of personnel on paper. Detroit Lions, is there a case to be made that Goff, Jared Goff, could be good enough in Detroit and that he is some kind of long-term-ish answer from Evan Donovan? Can Goff be some kind of long-term answer? No. Yeah. I I, I always answer with, is it, what's your long-term goal? I feel like we always start with the assumption every team wants to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, which I the the longer we do this, the less I think that that's actually true. If if the question is, can we be the Vikings? Can we be a team that's going to win eight to ten, eleven games, make the playoffs, compete for the playoffs every year, and we're happy having that quarterback? I would say yes, Jared Goff can be that guy because that's what he was with the Rams. So ironically. Remember, we were saying that Carson Wentz is a good example of a quarterback whose box score numbers don't really tell the story to whatever it was, 27 touchdowns to seven interceptions, looks pretty good. And there's a group of Washington fans now. A couple of people use this word that I hadn't seen before, uh, that everybody right now is like hepped up on hopium, right? Like opium, but with an H, hope. There's Mm. this period of hope right now. Uh, I hadn't heard that term before, but I like it. So the hopium is causing the Washington fans to look at Carson Wentz's box score and be like, yeah, he's a way better quarterback than you guys are saying. Like, what's, what's wrong? Why are, we, why are we saying this guy's not a, you know, a good starting quarterback? Look at the touchdown-to-interception ratio. There's, I think exactly the same thing is happening for a group of Detroit Lions fans who look at Jared Goff's box score last year and say 19 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, 91.5 passer rating, uh, 67% of his passes complete. He's way better than you Those guys were his say. stats last yeah. year? He's way better I don't even than you guys look. Say. Sometimes I don't even look at traditional stats anymore. I right. look at the grade and what I know and other stats. I didn't even know those were his yeah. stats. So there's a bunch which of which are people. very average, by the way, in today's NFL. That well, that's an element, right? Is it so the idea that everybody knows passer rating and it became this sort of stat that's embedded in everybody's brain? Well, the line has moved. Like hundred passer rating used to be the benchmark for insanely good play right it's like 10 people last year had a passer rating above 100 it's not anymore it's like it's kind of expected so for golf to be 91.5 that's no longer amazing that's like average anyway and also by the way you look at some other numbers and you see immediately how much worse it is like 6.6 yards per attempt is significantly lower than anything he had in uh with the rams except that train wreck of a rookie season anyway the point being, I think there's a chunk of people that look at that and have the same reaction and go, well, Goff's a way better quarterback than everybody's giving him credit for. Maybe you give him a couple of weapons, you know, on an offensive line that continues to get better, and actually he's a good quarterback. No. 
he, I mean, no. His, his overall grade was 60 last year. And again, okay, it'll get better if you give him some receivers and the offensive line continues to improve. But it won't get good enough, particularly when you consider the contract he's on. Yeah, the concern with Goff is he's never really gotten better. It's, you know, the, the thing that I keep saying is you don't, it's, it's not Madden. No, no offense to Madden. Love Madden. Friends of, friends of the show. Players don't get better every single year. Jared Goff was terrible as a rookie. Better in year two, 75. That 75 grade in year two was Goff's second best grade of his career. He, his second best grade was year two. His best grade was year three. And he's dropped off each of the last three years. That's the concern with Goff. But I think he showed enough with the Rams that if you do put, you know, McVay's a good play caller and good weapons and good offensive line, you put that around him, can you win a bunch of games? Sure. So, like, if the Lions have a pristine team-building effort the same way the Rams do and the goal is to be a playoff-caliber team, I think Goff has that in him. But that would have to be the goal because the Rams already said, we don't think we can win a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. We're going to move on, and they won a Super Bowl once they lost Jared Goff. I think that kind of tells the story. If the goal is the Super Bowl, he's not your long-term answer. It's also you can't, you can't separate him from the contract that he's already on, right? If, if Jared Goff was on a rookie deal and we were saying, hey, is he actually potentially better than people give him credit for, and could he be a, like an, a medium-term solution, sort of the way Jalen Hurts is or, or even Tua. Like these are guys that are on cheap money right now, so you can – spend a couple of years to see how good they can be because it doesn't cost you anything Goff, you already he's already on the big deal you're willing to eat that because it was part of a trade to get first round picks but if he ends up being anything you know average or whatever you, all you have to do is extend him and eat even more big money and it's just it's just not worth it the, the calculus changes when the quarterback is on that big money deal already so we're both saying depends on the answer. Depends on what you want, but but no. Super Bowl no playoff caliber team. He could he could be a guy. All right, Green Bay Packers is Green Bay's wide receiver group really worse than the Baltimore Ravens, Atlanta Falcons, and even Tennessee Titans? Seems like the hate has gotten out of control. Jacob Lewick, Lewick. It's like luck with an e in the middle of it. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a lot like that. It's, all, it's similar. Yeah. Uh, are we hating the Packers too much? No. No, it's a bad receiver group. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that, hey, Baltimore's and Atlanta's is pretty bad as well. Tennessee's, I think, is a stretch given, okay, Traylon Burks is unproven, Robert Wood's coming off an injury, but still that's better than what Green Bay has. Um, but the other element in there that I think was mentioned in this question that is massively relevant is Baltimore's Mark Andrews who we said is their number one receiver, right? True. Elite pass-catching weapon. Atlanta has Kyle Pitts, who it was essentially their wide receiver one anyway. Um, they have somebody in that group that means that the passing offense as a whole is less of a worry than Green Bay when you look at it and you say, who is Rodgers throwing to? Because their number one wide receiver is Robert Tunyon. Like, it's not the same thing, right? Robert Tunyon, who essentially is the guy that Rodgers was probably – Rodgers created so you got a bunch of guys and none of them are high-end receivers like their best receiver might be Aaron Jones the running back that's the problem in Green Bay that's why everybody's yeah. focusing on them as opposed to Baltimore as opposed to Atlanta as opposed to Tennessee also because specifically Green Bay has Aaron Rodgers back-to-back MVP and wants to win a Super Bowl and it's the question is like can you win a Super Bowl with a group that bad 
that's part of the issue is the the expectations for the Packers are high they're a pass first offense we're talking about the Ravens with the Ravens you can at least say well they run the ball more than any other team and they have Lamar Jackson as a runner as a runner so therefore maybe it's okay to have a lesser receiving core with Atlanta they're straight up rebuilding and you know if Drake London's awesome you know that's a what if right with the Titans another where you say hey they run the ball a lot and they like to run the offense through offense through Derrick Henry and maybe it's not ideal that they lost A.J. Brown but they're a different type of offense with Green Bay it's like Super Bowl or bust Aaron Rodgers is getting old and that's why we talk about it more you know that's why we talk about um, you know how many Bucks receivers would be the top receiver for the Packers probably four so that's part of the issue, I think, in Green Bay. Now, at the end of the year, if Alan Lazard, who Aaron Rodgers said was a Hall of Famer, if he has, mm. you know, 95 catches and 1,500 yards, it's like, see, we had Alan Lazard, but then you're still unpacking, is it Lazard or is it just Aaron Rodgers needed to throw the ball to somebody and he was, <laughs> you know, somewhat in the area. So the actual quality of the receivers, there are unknowns on all of those teams that you said. Who knows? Christian Watson could just be a star. Sammy Watkins could be rejuvenated. Who really knows? But on paper, yes, I think Green Bay's wide receiver core is worse or as bad as Baltimore, Atlanta, Tennessee. The hate is, I think, justified Yeah, for the Packers. Minnesota Vikings. Does Kirk Cousins have a Matt Ryan 2016 season in him? That was Matt Ryan's peak year, his MVP season, a season that was unlike any other year for Matt Ryan, statistically, when he had Kyle Shanahan as his head coach. Yeah. Was peak, uh, play caller, sorry. Peak Matt Ryan. Um, this one is from Andy Z. Uh, no, I don't think he does. I, the, the bigger... Also, no, in part because 2016 Matt Ryan was like insane. That was nine yards per attempt. It's yeah. just crazy town. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was insane. It was peak level Matt Ryan attached to a to attached to tin cup, <laughs> making magic happen. Uh, of course, we have another Shanahan tree system here with Kevin O'Connell from McVeigh, from Shanahan. It's all connected. Um, I just don't – so a couple of points. One, Kirk Cousins has actually played pretty close to that kind of to, – to sort of peak for a while. It's just that it's still not good enough. Uh, number two, I don't think we're going to see this insane level of just peerless play. I don't think Cousins has the kind of run where he's going to be amongst the best quarterbacks in the NFL – for the entire season and not see a drop anywhere. I think what you're relying on if you're buying into the the high the idea that we could win with this in Minnesota from Quazy and from Kevin O'Connell is you're relying on what Matthew Stafford did last year in terms of playing kind of the same for most of the year, getting to the playoffs and then catching fire for four games, which I think is really why Cousins was brought over in the first place. Remember when they got yeah, have him, a better ceiling than Case Keenum yeah, and when they Teddy brought him Bridgewater. over, they'd had Sam Bradford, they'd had Case Keenum, they'd had a good team. They just went to the NFC Championship game in 2017, um, and the idea was we bring in Kirk Cousins because he can do things that those guys and, Te- and Teddy Bridgewater can't do. If we get in a bad situation and all of a sudden the game's getting out of control early on. Cousins can make plays those guys can't make and can go on a run and drag us back from the fire. Um, and okay, the team then just disintegrated around him, so he's never got a chance to prove it. But I think that is the, that's the way that they can win with Cousins, not by Kevin O'Connell suddenly turning him into the 2016 version of Matt Ryan, but by 
somehow they, they stumble their way to the playoffs and then hope that Cousins goes on a run of four games where he's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I would say no as far as the Matt Ryan season. I, I don't think Kirk Cousins will be MVP if that's part of the huh. another way of posing the question. From Andy Z. Uh, speaking of the Falcons and Matt Ryan, or at least the Falcons, segue, Sam. Mm. Atlanta Falcons, here's a Falcons question. Smooth. As a Falcons fan, why should I even care about or even or watch this season? Seems like cruel and unusual punishment from Daniel Simmons. That came through today. We okay. needed a Falcons question. Daniel Simmons stepped up. Why should I watch the Falcons? Uh, because we like a lot of the players they added in the draft. And, all right, you're not going to win a lot this year, but these are all players of the future. Hopium, right? The hopium. Yeah. You get to look at all the players that are part of your future and be excited and get hepped up on the hopium. I always sell that. I, I try to sell that a lot, you know, because we talk about all 32 teams. We try to give all 32 teams love. And I, I try to speak to the fans and say, look, we're looking for hope this year. You're looking for development from the prospects. You want to see Kyle Pitts. Can Kyle Pitts jump up into that Darren Waller, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey group of tight ends? You want to see if Drake London. I mean, just watch because of how big all their receivers are. Is this strategy going to work of having a bunch of 6'4", 6'5", dudes? Like, Auden Tate is on this team, too. This also appears to be an an NFC NFC South thing. Tampa Bay are loading up on 6'5", dudes, left, right, center. They're just taking anybody. Yeah, yeah, they just added Kyle Rudolph. Julio Julio Jones, Jones. Kyle Rudolph, Mike Evans. Like, they've got a bunch of giants as well. So it's it's finding guys for the future. It's it's seeing – I mean, I think Marcus Mariota could be fun to just see if – if he's got a, a second wind in him, much like the guy that replaced him, Ryan Tannehill, uh, Cordero Patterson yeah. is worth tuning in for. There's a lot of exciting week. players on this team. Like Cordero Patterson, Drake London was one of the most fascinating prospects because of what he is. Kyle Pitts. Um, got Brian Edwards in the fourth quarter. Overtime T.O., Brian Edwards. Uh, A.J. Terrell was an all-pro last season. They added uh, Arnold Abichetti, who was a really exciting pass rusher. They added Troy Anderson, who's just phenomenal athlete at linebacker like there's a ton of guys that are fun to watch um this season and could potentially be significant parts of this team going forward i i look if you're watching thinking hey can have we got any shot of making the playoffs or winning a super bowl this year no but that's a lot of teams every year there are still reasons to watch the team so that's it i think for teams that are rebuilding and all that stuff i always envision this world where fans are are you know into the rebuild right or trying to trying to have some hope and you you know it might not be the year but you're going to tune in every week and and watch the development of these players and have some new people to root for and i think the falcons are positioned for that and yeah i think you're looking at 2023 as the season if you know brady's gone and other teams are in turmoil and you can make a move there but that's why the falcons should watch and also by the way like desmond ritter may end up starting games and that could be your quarterback of the future another good point uh carolina panthers does matt corral have any chance of starting now could he start at any point this season from ben seaford i would say he would need to be like dak prescott to have any shot of starting early so i would imagine the quarterback competition that would have been darnold versus corral has now become baker versus darnold or darnold versus baker um and i would just simply because of the volume of reps to go around it's very unlikely that the third guy has the shot of unseating the two guys ahead of him. So even 
leaving aside the idea that Corral is coming from this RPO-heavy offense and the translation between that and an NFL system is massive, just the, the opportunity he's going to get to show that he should be even part of the competition is so small that he would need to be basically perfect every time he goes out there, and he would need to be immediately, obviously, way better than people thought he was, and that's probably not likely. So I think his chances of starting week one, you know, winning that competition are basically zero. Whether he'll start at any point during the season is a much different question because there's definitely a scenario where Baker wins the job, it doesn't go well, everybody gets fired, there's no point in throwing Sam Darnold out there because what are you getting out of that? And you end up turning to Matt Corral to see if you have anything in the rookie late in the season. It's probably just late in the season, right, if anything? Yeah, or if the other guys, you know, injuries or if they're just so stinking bad, it's, you're like they play their way to the bench, you know, it could happen. I'm going to guess no, he's not going to start. No Mackerel this year. No Mackerel. Sorry. Wow. Baker, Darnold. But also, Corral. I think people getting fired helps his case because, like, you know, an interim head coach comes in week 12, right? What does he have to lose throwing Mackerel out there? No, I disagree. I, I think teams right or wrong teams look at the interim coach and whatever he does as like a trial run like hi yo did you get the team rallied you know did you did you win some games with this bad team it's it's the weirdest thing to me this like five sometimes this five week stretch matters when you're hiring the next coach when it's it doesn't really matter your stamp's not really on the team you didn't put it together you know you just kind of get thrown into the mix it doesn't really matter for the future so i think interim coaches want to come in and win not just be like, oh, I know what's best for the Carolina Panthers. Let's see what Matt Corral has. They're going to take whoever the best quarterback is and put him out there and hope that they go 5-0 and and win. But what if they're – like, if, if, what if it's Ben McAdoo, right? Ben McAdoo wants another shot at it, man. He wants <laughs> – look, I, you know, I, I need a second shot. Watch it. I, I, Carolina went 4-1 and one under my watch down the stretch here when wasn't, it didn't matter. He was also That's the guy – didn't he bench Eli? Wasn't that the – Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he's all about seeing the next guy. For Davis, Davis Mills? Davis I mean, not Mills. Davis Mills. Um, Davis, you know, the guy that used to play at Cal and Texas Tech and overthrew everybody. Yeah. Why can't I think of his name now? Man, That's... my whole my brain gets fried sometimes by this time. Damn Thinking it. back what here. What is this? Davis Webb. Webb. Davis Webb. I knew it was Davis. Yeah. Oh, Davis Webb. There's only some... so many Davises out there. I, how hard could it be? Davis Webb. I mean, Davis Webb is one of those reasons why we didn't want to believe in Justin Herbert or Josh Allen. Yeah. I mean, he was a sim- not as athletic. He quarterbacks in general. Similar, big-armed quarterback who just was, you know, all over the place, accuracy-wise, all over the place. Anyway, Davis Webb. I say no, no Mackerel. Let's go on. <laughs> New Orleans Saints. Only the Kansas City Chiefs have more wins than the, than the Saints over the last five years, and even last year they almost made the playoffs, the Saints. Why is everyone so low on them? I haven't fact-checked any. Barnett Warnock. What? I haven't fact-checked any of these, by the way, so for all I know, that's a lie. No, I mean, that's Barnett's Let's stat. So it's yeah, true. Please, we don't, we're not being held responsible yeah. for here if you're, uh, if you're fact-checking us. Um, also, the Chiefs and the Saints, when I was doing my draft study that I talked about a few weeks ago, I don't think you were on the show, uh, highest war added for non-quarterbacks over the last few years. Saints and the Chiefs are okay. the best drafting team that we've seen since 2014, also have the most wins. So why are we low on the Saints? Why is everyone so low on the Saints? Is that true? 
I mean, that's tough to fact check. Everyone is low on the Saints. Is that true? I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, I think the reason they're being overlooked is because they lost Sean Payton in addition to losing Drew Brees, you know, a year ago. Like, they, <laughs> the, the combination of Sean Payton and, and Drew Brees was why they were always winning games. Now, yes, it's true that even without Drew Brees, Sean Payton has a great record of winning games with quarterbacks that don't look like they should be winning games. Like, Teddy Bridgewater had a great record stepping in. And then they did do a pretty good job with the com- the unholy combination of Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon starting at quarterback. But they don't have the guy anymore that was doing that. So now it's like, well, does that still hold with a completely new head coach who's not offensive-minded, by the way, generally, you know, compared with Sean Payton? No, I don't think it does. So that's why people are down on the Saints relative to that kind of baseline is because that's probably not a realistic baseline anymore and the idea of like hey what does Jameis Winston look like in Sean Payton's offense can he become a completely different player can he make the big throws without causing the boneheaded decision that he always follows it with in Tampa Bay and it looked last year like maybe that's possible in Sean Payton's offense well Payton's offense isn't there anymore right the guy pulling those strings is not there so everything you're expecting to happen from that point of view is probably not an option anymore. Yeah, it's tough to evaluate Jameis last year, right? He, he only played up until week eight. He gets hurt in week eight. He had two game grades at 89 or better, and he had two game grades at 51 or worse. He threw a touchdown while falling backwards and was almost completely on his back when he threw it. He also threw an interception when he was falling backwards and almost completely laying on his back. This was in seven-plus games this happened. Six-plus yeah. games, really. So a lot of stuff happened in a short amount of time. You can look at EPA per play, and the pace was incredible for Winston. You can look at it, this touchdown-interception ratio and say it was 14-3. to three. The year before, the last time we saw him as a starter, we had 30 interceptions. Life was different. At the same time, his turnover-worthy play rate was not as good as maybe the inter- interceptions would show. So there's not a ton to glean from Winston except that there were some highs and some lows and there was games when he hardly dropped back and games when he was good and whatever um so i think that's part of it right it's just the we don't the uncertainty around Jameis winston as a starting point but i would still expect them to be the second best team in that division to be chasing a wild card spot like if that's your point that hey you know the saints can be a playoff team i think that's true but yeah they'll beat the bucks twice you know they'll (laughs) uh, they'll have a good defensive line and a good secondary yeah particularly in the nfc that's true but are they are they a real contender this year with those things gone i can't imagine that being true you lose teron armstead you get a few more question marks i think on this team than you've had in recent years but i like i think the saints will be feisty they'll be a feisty team feisty this year barrett barnett sorry uh tampa bay bucks from matt martin can four wide receiver sets work with chris godwin Uh, Russell Gage, Julio Jones, and Mike Evans. Will they work in Tampa's system? How would that look, or is it overkill? Uh, This came through today. Of course, Julio Jones signs with the Tampa Bay Bucs. Do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, I have thoughts, but... Okay, well, give me your thoughts. So first off, my my, my question would be, how much of this is actually going to be Bruce Arians' system, right? He's gone. Did he have his fingerprints on it enough that now that he's gone and it's truly Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady working through this thing is it really Arians offense Arians offense relies more on tight ends you're not going to run four wide receivers a ton right you're running play action off of well not a ton of play action but it's more a lot of content uh condensed formations and everything 
But I think this, these moves are more strategic than tactical. Strategic in that we want depth at receiver for the season rather than we tactically want to have four wide receivers out there at all times. The other thing I'll pose, and this is why I bring up the Arians thing, he always had Gronk lined up in line, right? He was like, tight ends play tight end, right? And very, you, you didn't see a ton of Gronk out wide compared to New England. Do they get away from that a little bit? Do they actually put four wide receivers out there and have Russell Gage and Julio, I'm sorry, uh, Chris Godwin work in the middle of the field and kind of stealing some of those Gronk type of routes? So there's some questions as to the tactics here, but I also think that this move was more, <coughs> we don't want to go into the playoffs where last year they lost Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin in two of the last four weeks of the season and then got into the playoffs and it was Mike Evans and nobody at receiver, Tyler Johnson and Cyril Grayson. Um, they just don't want to have that happen again. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is nobody really plays four wide receiver sets. Like the Cardinals are the obvious one with their air raid uh, and the, the fact that they ran a ton of it when Kingsbury first arrived. Last season, the Cardinals led the NFL 13% in four wide receiver sets, right? They were the only team above 10%. The Bucks were at 1.8%, and that had gone down from the year before. So you're not going to see a bunch of those four guys on the field at the same time. They are there as a, uh, as a depth tool and as a rotation device, but they're not going to be featuring at the same time on the field. Um, I love the Julio signing because I think if you have a good receiving core already, it is such a house money free roll type of deal like why the hell not maybe julio jones is washed and he's done and you're not going to get anything particularly useful out of him this year at all on the other hand maybe he's just been dealing with some injuries for a while and if you get a healthy julio jones particularly give you don't need to use him right away right you can play oh, the you long can ease game him in. he doesn't have to be right. the number one so you can kind of get him healthy get him eased into the situation you don't have to lean on him late but if they lose a guy late in the year like they did a year ago imagine having like something approaching healthy julio jones to come in off the bench and yeah. be that guy or you have a scenario where teams have started to figure out you know one of the top couple of options and julio jones comes in and gives you something different that's just such a boost to a team that expects to be contending and winning a super bowl yeah so i think obviously it's a good move it's a worthwhile risk you're not expecting and Julio was the best wide receiver in the league for years. I mean, you're not expecting necessarily that guy. I also look at, you know, Mike Evans is really durable and all that stuff, but it's, you know, he gets banged up here and there. He misses a few plays in a game. It's, it's, it's just this depth piece that I think is, is really valuable. So uh, they'll make it work. I don't think it's overkill. You can never have too many good wide receivers, in my opinion. No, it's, it's yeah. Having them on the roster is not overkill. Potentially yes. trying to get them on the field at the same time, sure. Yeah, if the goal is to have them all have good stats, you're not going to achieve that, mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's okay. Uh, four more teams. We get the NFC West to discuss here. Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, so we have a question, which is a good question, um, about whether Vance Joseph deserves more credit than Cliff Kingsbury and how does Arizona schematically outperform the talent on defense that we look at every year, and it's like, well, that's a bad defense. Um, short answer, they, they do a lot of simulated pressure. They're able to get um, pressure without having a ton of amazing players and that covers up a multitude of sins i don't want to spend any time on that even though it was a good question from hunter hmm. wilgenquist <laughs> williamquist williamquist thank you for butchering that um because we haven't talked about kyla murray's contract stipulation oh okay i was wondering why you were like yeah zipping we have that. to at least mention that and th so it came out it was leaked 
that the Cardinals put in a clause in the contract that Kyler Murray must do independent study of at least four hours a week on his own. Otherwise, he forfeits, you know, guaranteed money or whatever. Reaction, please. It's just a perfect ending to the contract negotiations that were (laughs) spurred by the guy that unfollowed the team on Instagram. (laughs) It is a perfect ending to the contract negotiations. We had talked about, for off-field concerns with Kyler Murray, the idea that, oh, there was some excuse-making coming out of the playoffs. I mean, there, there is enough concern with those types of things that you hear, we got to have the four hours. You got to study four hours a week independently. And then how they track that, that's like a whole other thing. Like, do we need to start, do we have to put something in ultimate where we're, you know, tracking keystrokes and stuff like that, which, you know, we could do that if you need that, Cardinals. We'll make sure he's doing his work. I mean, I would imagine they already have that stuff with the iPad, you know, where you can No, tell. I know. I'm, I'm just joking. Um, um, it's, it's a concern. Obviously, it was an issue for the first three years. Yes. But I, I want to take, take a step back, and I, I think it's an, it's an interesting data point, but sometimes when we're analyzing players and all that stuff, the individual data points don't matter. It's the outcomes. I would say if if they were concerned about how he studied and all that stuff, what happened on the field? So on one in, on one hand, he was an eighty plus graded player each of the last two years. Right, he was a good player each of the last two years, despite all of these concerns. And he got better all three years, and he's improved as a passer. And so there's this other evidence that no matter what the inputs were, we see what the output was. And it was good, and it was solid, and it was maybe something to build around. However, it's tough to ignore how alarming this is. Yeah, but also the outputs weren't unimpeachable. So True. Because Kyler Murray has said things like this in the past, that like he's not one of these quarterbacks that locks himself away in the film room and spends 12 hours a day grinding tape and blah, blah, because he sees it. You know, I, I just see the game better than all these other guys. And if you were the best quarterback in the NFL, if you were Patrick Mahomes after his first three seasons of starting and you said that, you couldn't argue, right? You would have to come to the conclusion that he is just one of these freaks that, that is naturally gifted in a way nobody else is and can get can roll out of bed and just be the best guy out there, right? The the usually high-end sports almost nobody can do that because everybody is everybody's a freak, right? Everybody in the NFL is an absurd athlete and therefore your advantage of being an absurd athlete no longer works because everybody is. Um this is a ridiculously niche sport for this to be, but the the one player I can think of or the one I don't want to call him an athlete cuz a man walks around a table with a stick, but Ronnie O'Sullivan, the snooker, right? <laughs> Ronnie O'Sullivan is a seven-time world Doesn't do enough film study, you say? Literally doesn't practice as much as anybody else, right? Was, is, is, like, notorious for just being so freaking naturally gifted at this game. You know, gentleman's pool, essentially. That he can just roll out there, do half the work of anybody else, and still be better than everybody else. That doesn't work in the NFL. It just doesn't. No. And if you're out here saying, look, because Kyler Murray is a freak athlete, incredibly gifted, has a great arm, so do five other guys, right? Justin Herbert, um, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Jalen Hurts. Like, there's a whole – all these guys are freaks. So if they're freaks, the same kind of level you are, and they're in the film room grinding, you know, eight hours – four hours a day instead of four hours a week, 
they're winning because they're doing things you're not doing. So for him to have that attitude is concerning because he hasn't had a Patrick Mahomes type start to his career. If he had, you couldn't say anything, right? You right. would still look at it and say, well, maybe you're leaving 10% on the bone and you could be even better, but I can't argue because you're the best quarterback in the NFL. But we would but we would still say, hey, the league can still adjust to you, Patrick. They could still throw different stuff right. at you and if you do want to be the best ever, you're probably missing something. But at here. least you could argue that hey, it's working. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. Shut up, right? And if I was him, I would make that argument if I didn't want to do that work. But you can't argue that now, right? Where did he rank last season for us? Um, overall grade, Kyla Murray, like passing grade was third. Uh, overall grade is seventh, which is fine. It's good. It's moving in the right direction. But it isn't number one by a distance. And if the guys ahead of you are all doing more work than you, you're, leaving, you're, you're missing out. And as you said, it wouldn't be in the contract if they weren't already concerned about it. That, that's the part. That's the issue, right? So I don't think that there's a direct correlation to film room time and success, right? I mean, as much as, as, much as we hear these stories about Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Drew Brees and all these guys who know, know everything and study and whatever, that's one thing. We also, saw, we also read those stories about the guy we mentioned earlier, Davis Mills. Davis Mills not only had the cannon for an arm, the dude was a film junkie. He was going to study for 10 hours a day. There is a such thing for certain people as overkill, right? Like you do have to have certain ability to react and all that stuff and play football. Like all of that stuff, whatever. That's a, that's a more nuanced conversation. It does come down to the Cardinals felt like this was a, an important enough thing that we had to write it into the contract. And then for some reason, Kyler Murray's agent felt like it was important enough to text it to Adam uh, to I don't think Ian Rappaport. I think he did the damage control afterwards. Where it was did he? Like, How did it get to Rappaport? Because I don't know. know. That's the thing. We like, know who, that Rappaport's usually getting who leaked this agent. because nobody looks good, right? Kyler Murray obviously doesn't look good because the nobody so, looks good. Of right. That's not. what I'm saying. So who the hell leaked it? Because the summation is Kyler Murray doesn't do any film work. It's Cliff Kingsbury. And from the Cardinals' point of view, they just gave a ton of money to a guy that doesn't do any film work. Cliff, so Cliff was like, bad. look what I'm dealing with here. They just invested all this money in this guy that doesn't want doesn't to study. Don't blame me. But the other point is, so it's, not, it's obviously not if you do film work, you become a great quarterback because of all those guys you said that are film junkies and stink. Um, but the question needs to be asked, how many great quarterbacks don't do film work? Like, when was the last? Because even guys you think of that sort of play their instinct and they're Brett just. Favre? Yeah. Is he the guy you're thinking of? Because when that's who, it, when you think of these guys that just kind of play by the seat of their pants and they're a gunslinger and they just go out there and ball, when you hear people talk about Brett Favre, like when he went to the Vikings, all you were hearing was all these Vikings guys going, I didn't realize that this guy's in the film room like 24 7. And yeah. he's the first guy, you know, the, the classic cliche crap. He's the first guy in, the last guy out. The guy that you assumed wasn't doing that stuff was doing that stuff. You know what I mean? So if even people like Brett Favre are in there grinding more tape than anybody else in the building, and you have to have it written into the contract four hours a week, how much film do you and I watch just to come in here and talk crap on a podcast? <laughs> True. <laughs> He's out there getting $160 million guaranteed over the next few years. It's literally your job. And they have to write it into the contract that he does four hours in a week. That's the second part of it. Four hours is a laughable... It's nothing! ...number, right? The fact that it was like, come on, can you, pl can you please just give us four hours? <laughs> I 
Like, um, if you can't give us four hours, we're going to have to take some money away. Is right? he a, a known... Week. Is he a known Call of Duty player? Because I saw the... He's uh, definitely a known gamer. I don't know if Call of Duty is his game of choice. I did see. I don't, I don't want to not properly credit the tweet that was out there about Kyler Murray's production against the Call of Duty release. Yes. I right? Which is usually like right in the middle of the season. Right. And that is right when Kyler Murray drops off. So hilarious. is he... I mean, you talk about Gen, Gen X, Z. Gen Z problems. It's Gen Z for yeah. him. You're talking about Gen Z problems. We're talking... I'm going to unfollow you on Instagram. I'm going to play video games too much during the season. Is that what we're talking about here? Well, at Kyler? what point does he become a big enough name that he can single-handedly get them to move the release date of Call of Duty? Oh, yeah. Like, if dude, you can, can just you guys just wait post-Christmas? Well, then, so then the question is, does Kyler Murray not believe they're going to play in January? <laughs> so where, where's Kyler Murray's confidence level? Hey, guys, can you move the release to January 15th? It's like, oh, you think you're a first-round exit yeah. type of team? You got, you got to say February 15th. Uh-huh. Right, right when the Super Bowl's over, then I'm ready. Then they'll move the Super Bowl again. You'll have to do it again. Well, then you see how much Kyler fights for the March release. That's you true. Know? Yeah. Um, anyway, I think it's it's got to be concerning. the The two massive contracts that were just given out. We've got a potential suspension looming for Deshaun Watson, yeah. and we have the Arizona Cardinals ensuring that Kyler Murray studies at least four hours a week outside of which is also remember when we when we reacted to the contract the thing was like on field everything's going well the concerns off field or not even off field but like the concern for murray is the intangible stuff it's the intangible is better than off field description yeah, it's yes. the leadership it's the buy-in it's the you know the confidence that hey we're things are going badly right now but let's let's go guys we're going to come back this is all tied up to that right if you're in there like if you're one of the players in the cardinals like can you imagine being a being a Cardinals player and that breaks, the news breaks, you must be like, are you kidding me? Four hours a week is written into that, this dude's contract, and he's the guy that we're pinning all our hopes on to win us a Super Bowl. Like, I'm some third-string linebacker, and I'm doing, like, five times that. I'm just saying, that's, that didn't go down well in the locker room. Yeah, but that's just because you're not as good, and that's just... Uh... That's skill inequality. But of all the things you don't want to hear about your quarterback that's just been handed $160 million guaranteed money, oh, that's sure. pretty yeah, high on the list. Yeah, that's not, that's not helpful. Anyway, spent a lot of time on that. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up with the last three teams here. Los Angeles Rams. The Rams led the NFL last year in non-QB war. That's wins above replacement. The three guys there were Jalen Ramsey, Cooper Cup, and Aaron Donald. In particular, they carried that. Uh, how much regression should we expect, and can Stafford make up the difference? That's from Nathan Partolo. I don't think you should expect much regression because part of the reason they were one of the best teams, or the best team in that regard, is because it was all tied up in those superstars. Aaron Donald is still back, and <laughs> given what we know of Aaron Donald's career so far, I think you could imagine him being amazing again. Um, Jalen Ramsey is likely to be amazing again. If Cooper Cup isn't as amazing as he was last year, I would imagine Allen Robinson makes up that difference. So I think they will be there or thereabouts again in terms of non-quarterback war. Oh, yeah, Allen Robinson definitely helps. I would say non-quarterback war. In those particular players, we have to see some regression. Aaron Donald is special, but that was an extra special season. Um, It was significantly higher than even just his three-year average previously. Jalen Ramsey, much higher than his previous three years. And Cooper Cup much higher than his previous couple years. So I think those particular players who carried the way will regress. 
I don't think Stafford himself makes up the difference because he also had a career high in war at 3.91. So I think the, I think the superstars do regress. Um, and then it comes down to there's still a playoff caliber team. And much like last year, we're talking about a team that needed certain fourth quarter comebacks and zero yeah. blitz, incredible plays. Like any Super Bowl team, there's a handful of plays where things go either way. That's the Rams again, right? They're a Super Bowl caliber team. They'll need the plays to go that way, their way again. But I do think they will regress in non-quarterback war, even with Allen Robinson and Bobby Wagner coming in to maybe help out with some of the differences. They'll regress. They'll be a little bit worse than last year. And they'll be yeah, I mean, a Super Bowl caliber team again. Anytime a team is worst or best at anything, the chances are the following year they won't be simply because, you know, yeah of regression to anything but i would imagine they will be amongst the best teams in the nfl again in non-quarterback war all right we did get a 49ers question during the podcast cj leach we needed one here what do you guys think about the uh the chances of this niners d being a top five defense in the league and how would that translate to the team's overall success this season many uh, essentially the niners media they're expecting a deep playoff run and that it's going to be more on the defensive shoulders than trey lance uh, I would be pretty surprised if this was a top five defense in the NFL. Uh, I just don't know they have the personnel for that. They, they've got a couple of stars, they've got a couple of good players, but there's quite a lot of question marks that would seem to prohibit that from happening. Yeah, they do always seem to maybe exceed our expectations or put together games. You know, they, they've done a good job, the Niners, the last couple of years of having, look, the playoff game that they won in Green Bay where they shut down Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, um, especially after a, a rough start to that game. That was yeah, impressive. But remember, a big part of that was a big part of their success has been Robert Sala, who's not there. Yeah, I mean, D'Amico Ryan's has done a good job there. Sure. But the they, last, like last season, in terms of, again, EPA last per play, the thing that we use, 16th. Right. I, I think it was, it was interesting because, again, they would have games, like they did a pretty good job against the Cowboys and the Packers in their playoff wins. They had games like that. But, you know, they they weren't great overall it was not a great defense overall it was a solid defense they ended up right in the middle of the pack they'll probably be they could be maybe a little bit better than that i like adding Travarius ward on the back end there um but i agree they're not probably gonna be a top five defense i think what protects them more though is even more running potentially with trey lance if you do get fewer possessions you might see you know fewer points per game defensively allowed CJ Leach, thank you for the question here during the podcast. Mm-hmm. We said no. Seattle Seahawks, last team here. Did Mina send in a question for the Seahawks? Nothing? We didn't ask her. I mean, she's one of our fans and listeners, and I assume that she would I respond. Think she's quite busy. You know, she does TV and stuff. She Whatever. was out there throwing out a pitch. She has more pitches <laughs> at a major league stadium than you do so far. I mean, obviously, you're so far. You can change that. I've got something in the works. Yeah. But yeah. my major league debut is coming up in a couple of weeks. That's actually that's pretty rough. That Mina has Mina has a more extensive. Well, I was invited. I was invited to play at Fenway Park. I mentioned this. I was gonna play at Fenway Park mm-hmm. as a Division Two All Star. Yep. But we were we had to go play in the World Series. Yeah. yeah. During that game, <laughs> so my one chance to pitch off a major league mound thwarted by the uh, World Series mm-hmm. Division Two. But I'm gonna have a chance at redemption maybe at. Uh, great american in a few weeks here but yeah mina has more more major league pitches than i do right now currently <laughs> tough scene <laughs> it is 
and she didn't respond to our questions. So we had other Seattle fans. Drew Poulos? Poulos. Should Seattle fans want the team to be terrible this year or win six to seven games, which is better for a rebuild? I mean, be worse. Really? You're always Mr. Like, you can't foster a losing environment. You got to keep muddling through and she convince everybody that you can still, you know. Yeah, but this means, that's, a, that's when you get a new coach. When you this, a will new- be the, this would be Pete Carroll's last year and you get a new regime in there and you want to hire pick and so part you of your some, buy- you want, i want i want the pick of the quarterbacks next year so hang on part of your sales pitch with the you want to stink is that that will remove pete carroll from the equation a little bit wow not that i don't want pete carroll sounds a lot like you don't want pete carroll no i'm saying if you're going to have a new coach the losing attitude from the year before matters less. But if you win six, seven games, they probably don't, right? So you are, it is a referendum on whether you want Pete Carroll as the coach going forward. I would root for the draft pick because I need a quarterback. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Sounds a lot like you want to kick Pete Carroll to come. Uh, I, I change by the situation here. If it's better <laughs> to, to, this is different. This is like, this is from a fan's point of view, right? Hmm. So this is, I'm answering this from a fan because there's a Seattle fan saying, what should they root for? Which is different from the head coach walks into the locker room and, or is in a meeting with the GM and is like, we're going to tank this year. We're going to suck. We're going to teach the team how to lose. That is different, right? Instilling a tanking attitude to the team is different from a fan sitting at home rooting for the draft pick. The fan is not the team. So the fans should root for the best draft pick. Be bad. The team should try to win and not try to instill a losing attitude to the squad. The way, though, that you institute, with the exception of that one random Eagles game in week 17 or whatever it was, you don't... Which proved to not matter. Like, that didn't matter at all. Except it helped them. It jumped them up and... No, no, I'm sorry. It didn't matter that they purposely lost. Right. And that didn't project forward into more losing. Yes. In fact, if anything, it helped them massively given the draft change that it gave them and what that spat out into um but for so my point is you don't with the exception of that one game you don't go out there and say we're going to lose this game you achieve that by institutionally making decisions and make it much more likely for you to lose games so yes i would do that i'm behind that strategy so in seattle's case this year that is saying the 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 quote-unquote winner of the drew lock geno smith quarterback competition is our quarterback this year and we're not going to go and bring in jimmy garoppolo who gives us a better chance of winning games because we don't sure. have any interest in that this year. So that's the way they achieve losing more games is by essentially not upgrading at the most important position in the NFL. I, I mean, honestly, splitting the difference is probably what you should root for is not you know going on a losing, a, a, a winless season, not winning one or two games, winning four and still having a really good draft pick, still being in a position good enough to get a quarterback and not being such a miserable like train wreck that everybody is just giving up on what your chances are going forward. Fair. If I'm trying to tank as a as a decision maker, I am I'm just going to make the decisions that are better for my team in 2023 rather than 22. I think that's how you approach that as a decision maker. Again, as a fan, I think that's fair. Root for four wins, a good draft pick. I would root for the draft pick though over, you know, winning a few games and playing spoiler against some of our rivals, that type of thing. Yeah, I think his logic in that question was that, you know, if you're, if you're a six, seven win team, it's easier to kind of convince people to come to Seattle, you know, free agents or whatever. I, 
I don't know how much of a difference that makes. Yeah. There might be some elements of that. I don't know. But, I, mean, I mean, same really... thing I said about the Falcons, though. I think Seahawks fans should be like, all right, who's going to be a part of this rebuild? Like, yeah. I'll be rooting for the two starting offensive linemen who are rookies and, you know, just trying to see the development of these young players and hoping for a draft pick so I can get my next quarterback, assuming it's not Drew Locke or Geno Smith. Um, but who knows? Maybe those guys will surprise. I think ultimately, if you're willing to pay free agent asking price, with the exception of being Jacksonville, people will go to where you are. Like, it's not, you know, nobody's looking at the difference between, like, Two game win, two win team, and a seven game win team, and saying, "Oh, I'm definitely not going there in free yeah, agency." It's pretty, pretty gloomy up there, Seattle. There's a lot of rain, but you know, it's pretty very, gloomy. Because of that, it's very pretty and green and lush. Yeah, sounds like someone from Ireland. <laughs> All right, well, that's it. We answered a question from every team, from every fan base. We appreciate it. Thanks for uh, sending those questions in. We appreciate all of the interaction, and uh, we thank everybody that's already starting to contribute to the next charity drive to see sam if he could throw 60 miles an hour Mm -hmm. with a baseball 60 miles an hour with a pff underscore sam it's the pinned tweet there with the gofundme let's start firing in some money in particular all the people that doubted all the people that were very you know vocal saying there's no shot whatsoever me pitching 60 get in there and donate money so we can see maybe that's how i'll donate something like a dollar a dollar for every doubter you know we'll no take... i think me and you just need to have a we need to have a sum of money that the loser chucks but, into this. but maybe that's what it is we have a we do a poll again i think we did it before for every vote that says you can't do it when they when you do it you pay them mm-hmm. right you give a dollar for each vote okay for or against something like that i'll figure it out not good doing that on the fly. No. Any, um, also, so the survey, we do want to get everybody's feedback. This is feedback from the viewers and listeners so that we can make things better at PFF NFL Pod. While you're there on Twitter, don't forget to hit that follow button, follow at PFF NFL Pod. We're going to be doing a lot more from that Twitter account, announcements and polls and uh, all sorts of fun stuff. So we're just trying to, trying to, to grow that at, P- at PFF NFL Pod, growing that on Twitter and uh, TikTok at PFF NFL Podcast. And keep sending in those emails, nflpodcast at pff.com. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back again on Monday. Happy training camp, everybody.